<laughs> oh. It gets silly at the beginning. It will wear <laughs> off. <laughs> I never get used to it. Like, <laughs> so many years doing this shit, and I'm always like, la, 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 at the beginning. <laughs> you get giggly. Oh, I, I like the clap. I do that. I'm actually doing that because uh, it syncs up the audio when I, when I clap. So I can just edit it boop, with the clap. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. When, when you did your podcast, like, how did you do it? Was it? Oh, this was so many years ago. Like, I had, a, we both, and we were, like, in different countries. So we would do, like, a video call. And then, like, we'd both record each end and then um, send each other. Video calls. Also, oh, like, from different places. Yeah. What do you use, Skype? Um, yeah, usually. Okay. Skype or even just, like, FaceTime. And what's the new uh, the new video calling feature everyone's using for Corona? Is uh, um, Zoom. Zoom. Zoom call. Zoom. Oh yeah, Zoom. I think Skype messed up with that. They were so big on uh, video calls, and then like they had their opportunity with the whole COVID, and now like uh, taken from them. Zoom was already popping though before mm. COVID. Like in terms of online business, I feel like loads of people, I've been I've been using Zoom for ages before COVID. Oh, yeah. And then it just like became, I guess, more like mainstream, like Skype. Mm. And do you do a lot of Zoom, Zoom calls? Yeah, so I, I used to do like my coaching calls over Zoom, like pre-COVID. Oh yeah? Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So like client calls and stuff like that. And yeah. And it's great because you can also do like workshops, you know, so it's like a group workshop. You can also do like group calls on there. And just like usually has like less technical problems. I feel like Skype um, like had more like dropping out and stuff like that, like connection mm. errors, connection issues. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I've never really done any uh, any of the online calling. I mean, besides FaceTime and stuff like that. But yeah, you you need a really good connection for that. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, all right, so. Not sponsored by Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we have here? This is super cool. I, I haven't had any, uh, any props in uh, my podcast in the, in the previous episode, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, this is my little, my little bag of tricks. I have like my, um, like spirituality is super, super important to me, integral to me as a person um, and touches into everything I do, including my work. And so I, I like to have a little, little some little bit bits that I carry with me so that I can set up. Um, especially when I'm moving, I think I feel like I'm such a homebody. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like at the beginning of this trip, I was moving like every week to two weeks, um, and having a lot of fluidity. And there's something for me in like setting up my shrine when I get to a place, and then I'm like, okay, I'm home, like I'm uh. settled in, and like it's yeah, it's. It's, uh, I, I definitely, like, my runes are something that I just carry with me everywhere, always. Um, they're, yeah. for me, like, probably the most sacred thing that I own. Uh, and other than my runes and increasingly my tarot cards, I could, I can go, go without pretty much everything else. Like, it's nice to have them. I have loads more stuff at home. But at the end of the day, it's not stuff. Like, it's all within you, mm -hmm. right? Like, spiritually or in your personal growth. For me, my runes would be, I guess, similar to for other people, what like prayer beads would be or what the Bible would be. It's like my way of connecting in with the divine and my ancestors and speaking to them and being guided by them. It's a way of communicating. And, and I, yeah, I hold them with me in my prayer and 
and my connection and obviously I throw them costume. Really so I've out. never I've never seen these before. How how do they work? So they're they're again like an, another tool of like clairvoyance, I guess, like like tarot. Okay. Um but the runes are in particular like they're they're Nordic, they're Norse. Um, from like using Norse paganism, mm -hmm. like Viking. Viking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so they're a, a way, like when you're throwing runes, it's the Viking gods or the Norse gods in Norse paganism that are going to be coming through and your ancestors. Um, and yeah, I just, I love them. I had like no idea really, like I didn't know anything about them when I went into, my friend owns a shop um, where she, she sells crystals and casting supplies and I saw this set of runes and I was just like totally like they're mine. <laughs> like <laughs> I need them. Um, and it was, yeah, it was super funny because there was obviously, there was loads of different ones and loads of different like crystals and really pretty ones and other ones that maybe like pulled my uh, like visual attention more. But like this set was just like, it already felt like it was mine. And when I got them, I had no idea how to, to read them or cast them or anything. And I just used to, like hold, put them out or hold them out, but they always just felt like so, uh, yeah, I just felt super connected to them and then started learning how to throw. So how do you, yeah, how does it work? I mean, I see there's little symbols on there. Yeah, so each of the symbols like hold, like holds a meaning. Usually when, when you throw, um, I would throw three in a clarifier usually, right? So I would like mix them up, ask my question, whatever, take out three um, and a clarifier. And it usually like tells a, tells a story um i feel like sometimes it's really clear sometimes it's very like this is like you're kind of like near past this is what's happening right now and this is where you're going and the clarifier is like this overall energy like this is either like what you're going to come to if you follow these steps correctly um and sometimes it's like they all just feed into each other and i think that's that's where um where like you have to be in tune with the energies um, with the message that's coming in because uh, it's the, the runes obviously pretty limited you know mm -hmm. what I mean like you have a limited number of meanings so you could pull the same reading like three times in a row um, which sometimes <laughs> happens to uh, when when a message is super clear uh, Does but that mean it's like you have to be able to sort of I guess fill in fill in the gaps through like what you're receiving no like what the message that you're receiving attached to them so bring it in. so when you start you you take them all out and then you pick three no i would personally i keep them in my bag and then you just pick them from the bag and i three. pick them in the bag just and mix them up and then i pick three. them at random random or is it random, or is it random? <laughs> it's really you... funny with, with with runes like i like to anybody that's not into spirituality and particularly like into um readings it probably sounds absurd but runes have like a really strong personality it's very very they're, they're very sassy um mm. and i think like which tie like for me ties in totally to to the, the norse gods and norse paganism uh, and that energy comes through a lot so it will actually happen quite often if you ask if you try and be funny like if you try not you try and be funny but if you try and ask the same question but you're like trying to be smart about it and ask, you're kind of asking a different question, but your intention is still the same. Right. And they've already answered. They'll just like give you the same rooms in a different order or really? <laughs> whatever. Yeah, like so often. Um, and I definitely, again, like I feel super connect, connected to, to this form of, of spirituality and this practice. And to me, it's like, I feel like I have a, like a really good 
banter <laughs> with my runes. <laughs> and anyway, wh- what does spirituality lot. mean to you when you say spirituality? Um, so I guess for me, and I guess why it's so integral to me is is because it's it's like how am I coming back to spirit, like at, at every level of my life, um, and I think like it's yeah, it's like what whatever's playing out in my day-to-day life or whatever like conflicts I'm going through mentally or emotionally or whatever else I think like it's important to take time to just come home and like come back to your to your sort of core um essence and and connect with something larger than you right so mm-hmm. I feel like spirituality has always been been very important to me even when I was a child and I'm lucky that I was that I grew up in an environment where that was very much nurtured. My mom's also a very spiritual person, so is my dad. Um, and so we grew up in a household as well that was also very like of mixed faith or of mixed spiritual practice. And I was never sort of given a, we're like Christian and this is how we do things. It's like, you find your own web and flow. Like my, my family's Catholic. Um, like Irish Catholic, <laughs> <laughs> um, but my my mom moved away from Catholicism. She actually practiced. She's a Quaker. Quaker, um, what's that? So it's an offshoot of Christianity, mm. um, or it's linked to Christianity, but it's it's a, just a very different practice in terms. So like, you wouldn't go to mass or go to church. It's much more about like sitting in silence and being. Um, but people can volunteer and share with the group if they want to and share anything. I've never really practiced and given that my mom's a Quaker, I don't know so much about it. But one of the really beautiful teachings in in the Quaker faith um, that I love that really resonates with me that I've definitely taken from my mom doing it is um, they believe that there is that of God in everyone. So Mm. that we are all ultimately equal or ultimately sacred. Um, and that there's that in God and everyone. And so there's also like within the history history of Quakerism, like there's there's also been a lot of uh, movement for social justice and social equality as a result of that, because you can't, um, like if you're looking down on anybody else or if you're partaking in oppressive like systems or whatever, like you're going against God by doing that or without God in everyone right. else, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's kind of like how when people, when you equate that, you know, you're, someone else is just like you and you see yourself in someone else, mm. so you can't really harm them because you don't, you're, you're harming yourself mm. in the same way the Quakers will look like, look, will look at someone and say, hey, this they're godly, I'm yeah. godly, you're godly, and for me yeah. to do something against you would be unholy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, like, they, the yeah, it's sort of the within that as well like staying humble with it and that like i think a lot in quakerism that there's like uh living like quite simply living mm. quite not ha- having excess minimalism um, yeah not having in 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 excess and not which like <laughs> in a catholic society is kind of <laughs> <laughs> it goes against kinda, that right it's yeah. about consuming and yeah like not being like over over like I guess like not over attached mm-hmm. to material things, you know, like again, it's all, it's all within. And that's, I carry that too. Like, obviously I have, I have these things that I like. It's more of like, a, aside from my runes, oftentimes, um, obviously the, all of these things are useful in casting, but um, it's not a necessity. It's not really necessary on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Um, you it's know, tool, you can kind of. you can sit anywhere. Like you don't need to be 
in a holy building Church or like holding a Bible or like anything else. Uh, and then like moving on from that in terms of materialism, you don't need any of these things outside of yourself really to create meaning or value to your life or to who you are. Like it's all, you carry it all within you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the quickest way to, to touch home with spirit and to touch home with God is to just come into yourself and feel it. <laughs> <laughs> nice so you said casting so you cast with all of these so if i was like doing cast i i've always practiced manifestation massively mm-hmm. um and really like innately since i was a child i've always been you know if i wanted something i would fixate on it i'd be like manifesting on it i'm gonna have this um and it's always flowed for me you know and i think and and i think with that as well like if i get into a negative loop if i get into a like i'll manifest that (laughs) on a on a on a heavy wave um for myself too and yeah so for, for part of my practice is casting um so using crystals or using herbs um with intention for whatever the outcome whatever the outcome that okay. I look for is, um, yeah. And so uh, this what this crystal is actually very cleansing. <laughs> also, I always I have a lot of trouble sleeping, and I usually keep that one up by my bed. Um, and this one charges everything else and um, is like energizing. A, so yeah, it's like a wireless charger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It is for my crystals. <laughs> so how, I mean, how does and that, for me, how does that work? Well, charging and crystals. I mean, a lot of people may not know about crystals. And uh, so it's, it, I guess it's just about like the energy. Like, if you if you keep like maybe you keep crystals because you think they're pretty. I have loads of crystals that I just have because I think they're pretty. Do right. you know what I mean? I I wouldn't say that I'm any kind of expert in terms of like crystals. It's very new for me in terms of always own them because I think they're pretty but like in terms of really going more into like the energies that they carry and and like the meanings that they have behind them and and what you can how you can utilize it like all of this is just energy Mm -hmm. at the end of the day um and it's just a way I guess of like I think often as well it's like a it's what's the word I'm looking for as much a like a symbol, you know, it's like a physical symbol. And I think in this physical world, like it's, that's useful for us, but it's also harnessing the the energies um, of, of the crystals. If you go by like the the meaning of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, when I was in Bali, this one guy, he showed me these symbols that he had and he said that these symbols do these certain things, Mm -hmm. but he was also saying that on the other side, um, because I was asking him, why is it that this symbol can do this and this symbol can do that? And he was like, it's actually it's actually based off what you believe. Mm-hmm. So you can create any symbol, and if you believe it is strong enough, then it'll do what you think it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is the thing as well, and again, it ties back into that same thing of like, this is all nice, but it's not necessary. Do you know, at the end of the day, you could go through, you could go online and you can find a spell and you can go and buy all of like, the materials that you need whether it be herbs or whether it be whatever you can go and get somebody else to cast for you but if the if your intention behind it isn't um like pure real honest there like whatever none of it really matters and you could probably do a lot more with like for example a manifestation Mm -hmm. probably do a lot more by like 
repeating those same words to yourself every day and every night and making it like visualizing it seeing it as real you know then with that intention um i think is the most the most powerful thing in in any form of like mysticism you right. know what I, mean? I also think that's why for example in religion praying works so much people right. think that you know it's because maybe or maybe not you're praying to to god or whatever mm -hmm. um higher being there is or energy source but mm -hmm. it's also because you're manifesting it by you right. praying it and you saying it you're mm -hmm. creating it yeah, so, yeah, yeah so in a way it's kind of that like yeah yeah and it's like it's the difference between prayer and ritual no like you know in islam for example that is like very much recognized salat the salat that you do five times a day is is ritual more than it is prayer dua is prayer you know so it's yeah, I think like this, the the prayer is like your kind of connection, like personal connection and, and ritual is often with intention and with, okay. with you know, with reverence, no? So, like so if you keep doing it over and over, it becomes a ritual. Yeah, I think like rit ritual is like more in service, do you know, in necessarily. Service. What do you mean? Like it's more when you're when you're performing ritual, it's in service to something. Okay. Right. Um, when you're when you're prayer when you're praying, like prayer mm -hmm. is is like that's the still stillness and just being with, okay. you know, being with the divine in you, being with the divine spirit, being right. with, um, yeah. And I think and I think it can be found <laughs> anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, yeah, um, I was watching this uh, this thing with Charlie Chaplin, and he talks about, he has this, like, the, the dictator speech. Have you ever seen that? No. Charlie Chaplin, like, he uh, he's dressed up as, like, Hitler in the movie. Okay. It's, like a whole, it's a whole black and white movie, but it's the first yeah. time he's, he's ever talked in the movie, and he gives, mm -hmm. gives this amazing speech. And anyway, in part of the speech, he talks about how um, it is written in the, in the church, I'm probably going to butcher this, but in the in some church, the 16th chapel or the, the, the church of St. Luke or something, that the kingdom of God is not within one man, but in every person mm -hmm. or man. He said man, mm -hmm. but obviously person. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, it's pretty interesting that we all Yeah, have I that. feel like there's so many overlaps as well throughout. Like, like I say, like I grew up in a house of mixed faith. Like I actually did. Um, I, I went to mosque when I was a kid. So my mom was a, a Quaker. My dad was actually practicing buddhism at the time and i used to go to mosque every friday and practice islam i was no i've never been a muslim i've never taken like a, an oath really you um, went to mosque yeah, yeah. Why, why is that yeah. your uh so it originally started because i had a lot of friends that were muslim at school mm -hmm. uh, and obviously they went to mosque on friday um and did you like ask to go or so my my mom used to work on fridays and she asked one of my friends parents if they could if i could go to the house one friday um and they were like well we're, we'll be at mosque but she's super welcome to come with us to mosque if she wants like you that's know cool. um so that's how it started and then it just became well, what i did every friday <laughs> <laughs> uh and and yeah where i'm from there's a big muslim community in particular big sufi community which is it's a really beautiful um, like sect in Islam that's very cosmic, very very spiritual. Uh, I get all religion should be spiritual, but to me particularly particularly beautiful, and I feel very lucky to have had that community yeah. um, growing up, and and you know I still 
not, you know, I, again, I'm not, I'm not Muslim. I've never been a Muslim. I've never taken an oath to, to Allah. And part of that is uh, when you, if you want to become a Muslim, you have to declare to believe in Allah and only Allah mm-hmm. um, in front of witnesses. And it has to be pure intent and it has to be completely truthful. And it, it, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I have a lot of love for Islam because of the place it's held in my life, and I definitely feel a connection to it. But I also believe in that there's yeah. lots of lots of gods, lots of deities, and that that's very like that. It's a simple belief in Islam. Right. Um, yeah, a, Islam is more of a monotheistic religion. So yeah. If you yeah. declare, and you have to be. Like you said, pure. So if you're pure saying intent, I'm yeah. only for Allah, that's mm. it. So if if you're gonna go mm. then practice other, um, yeah. worship other deities or anything yeah. like that, it's gonna. But I will still like you know I, I will still go through salat, which is you know, um, yeah. Like What's, a, that? What's a, that? It's a, it's a for well like I said it's like more the ritual ritualistic prayer within within Islam or like. And then at the, at the end you do dua, which is really like asking for forgiveness. Um, but it's, yeah, it's like uh, you go through the prayer, like you have to recite the prayers. I'm like, my Arabic's pretty <laughs> rusty at this point. Like I can't remember, okay. remember all of it. Um, but you go through and you stand for some of it as you recite through or you listen. Uh, in my case, often half, half and half. <laughs> um, and then you kind of bow and then you come down into like a full bow. And it's just yeah, like you 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 run through like three or four times, um, That's cool, and man. yeah, so I I also practice sometimes, you know, but I would consider myself a friend of a friend of Islam rather than a Muslim. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, what are some commonalities um, between like the different? I mean, your mom's a Quaker, your dad uh, studies Buddhism. Is it- he's he's not practicing again within Buddhism as well. I think it's it's uh, you you would he would be considered a friend of buddhism anyway um rather than a buddhist but he was he was practicing when i was a kid and then he moved away from it he's had other like again spiritual paths that he's gone on (laughs) and phases and um whatever else but i think yeah definitely that, that just that it was it was I think important to me in like naturally mm-hmm. um, and I was lucky to land in a, a family where it was also important to everyone yeah. else and um, I've always also always had I guess friend like a mi- mixed faith like okay. friendship groups and um, yeah it's good it's also like I mean how parents will put their kids in different sports to see what they're good at what they like I mean for um, someone having kids to raise them to give them different opportunities to try different mm. faiths to what goes with them, whether it's Christianity, yeah. Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, um, some Eastern belief, spirituality, mm. and just let, you know, philosophy or whatever it is. 100%. I think that was super important to my mom as well. She grew up Catholic um, and it ultimately like didn't, didn't resonate with her, didn't work for her. And I think, you know, <clears throat> there are elements of, of, you know, her, her, Catholic upbringing or Catholic faith that, faith that have stuck with her for sure. Um, and I guess that relationship with God and all the rest of it is definitely still st- stuck with her. But I think coming from such a like highly Catholic upbringing and 
she went to like a convent school <laughs> run by nuns and like boarding mm. school from when she was super young. And I think, I think it was, you know, it also came with a, a lot of difficulty and it was ultimately, I think like a lot of pain for her in, in a lot of ways that is, you know, n not in alignment with like, I guess what she mm -hmm. felt was actually God. Um, so I think when I was born, she, she really wanted me to, to have religious or, or spiritual freedom to, to discover my own, my own path in a way that maybe she, I guess a lot of parenting is that, you know, you take what works for you and then right. you do the opposite of whatever didn't. Um, and yeah, I, I feel super, I feel super lucky to have had that, That's amazing, that yeah. freedom to be supported in that. Uh, a lot um, of kids don't get that opportunity yeah. to just try out what they feel is right and yeah. end up being stuck to this belief. Sure. And yeah. My granny wasn't having it. Really? <laughs> my granny was not having it. What? Because my, my, I wasn't baptized, right? So coming into a Catholic family, it's like a massive no. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't baptized. And one day I, my mom had taken me to my grandmother's house and my mom went, I think like she went around to the shop to ever get some milk, I don't know. My granny baptized me in the kitchen sink, <laughs> like, no grandbaby of mine's going to limbo. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> so yeah, I was baptized by sink. my grandmother in her kitchen sink. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> I guess like, yeah. How old were you? <laughs> like a baby. Oh, a like baby. Baby, so baby. Don't yeah, remember. I don't remember. Yeah. No, but your mom my mom it. came back and she was like, what are you what? doing? She's like, ah, oh, I can't believe you. I raised you better than this. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother was hilarious. Grandparents mm. are the coolest. What is it that makes grandparents like cooler than parents? Yeah. Like, what is that? What yeah. is that like shift? Because they were parents and they weren't cool, but then you become a grandparent. I guess it's, it's like, like the love of a parent without like the responsibility of like, <laughs> having to parent the person. Yeah. Right? Like, the, like your grandparents love you as much as your parents do, but they don't have to be as like yeah restrictive with you as like <laughs> your parents kind of have to instill like some some boundaries and values for you they have all this fear yeah. your your grandparents of course they like probably going to do that to an extent too but oftentimes they can be a bit more like spoil you a bit more <laughs> and everything right but yeah yeah i think grandparents are super cool yeah um can we uh, do this uh tarot thing or do you want to do it later I yeah. I'm still learning tarot. Oh, okay. So I'm super nervous to do. <laughs> really? I'm going to do some uh, tarot cards if you're listening right now. Should we do overall energy of the podcast? Yeah. What, how does that work? What do you mean? We like, just pull one. Pull one for the podcast. Pull one overall energy for the podcast. Oh, I've never even thought of that. That's a good idea. <laughs> you are an expert. I'm not. <laughs> Far from it. I don't know what half of them means, though. I still have to Google it as mm. I'm going along. But I will say for me personally, like I was super scared of tarot for ages. I had like I had my tarot. I couldn't even touch them. I was so scared. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because I feel like tarot. So I guess for, for me with um, with the runes, like I said, it was a very instant connection for me. Uh, I feel very much like a. Yeah, like they just, it didn't feel like I was encroaching in on something. It didn't feel like I was taking something to, to learn about it and, and whatever else. And who knows, like it's it's totally possible and plausible that on an, like a ancestral level, I, I do have like Norse blood somewhere along the line, like Norse blood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and like, you know, England was 
you know, of course, invaded by Vikings and uh, particularly like where my family's from. So very, very like possible. Um, I also like, again, going into the more woo side of things, uh, if you believe in like past lives and soul journeys and all the rest of it, I've had some gnarly past life regression, like regressions um, to being, yeah, like Viking. It's so embarrassing seeing these things. Really? Yeah. How, yeah. How, did, how does that work, regression? Um, so it's happened to me twice. Once was actually like, <laughs> ironically during a photo shoot um and i'm an artist um as well as like being a coach and content creator and because it's because it's my artwork i feel like i i often draw from either the emotional place that i'm in and what i'm going through in in terms of my own therapeutic like process uh and also like my spirituality and what's going on with my spirituality and i was doing this shoot and i i was really beginning to come back I, I used to I started casting when I was a teenager but I kind of like moved on and did other things and I was sort of coming back to that and I I just had this like I really wanted to do this shoot that was like really like dark like viking vibes but like witch like viking witch kind of <laughs> super dark a little bit BDSM um vibes in it as well and I just like kind of like the image kind of came to me and then I kind of like went and like mood boarded it and put it together and set up to do it with this incredible photographer called Ben who's also like deeply spiritual person um, and does a lot of very deep meditation work and sort of like reality shifting mm -hmm. uh, and manifestation and he's awesome and uh, I didn't think that much of it like I thought it was going to be visually really cool but like I was you know like not you know i was more focused i guess like i was creatively directing this shoot so i was a lot more focused on like how it's going to come together and telling like you know sharing my sort of vision with ben and kind of how we could translate that into like each other's work you know like, like me creatively directing and modeling and him shooting um and so anyway i go and get ready i do all my own like hair and makeup my costume and everything i was like getting ready and i just felt like this like energy like coming over me like very like it was me but different um and like uh very strong very strong energy and the story sounds, sounds crazy <laughs> um i don't think i've ever told this story publicly before uh, mm. and uh so i got ready and i come out like in this like hole like i'm like feeling like there's so much like energy flowing through me and I come like face to face with Ben and it was just like, like, like really strange. And he was like, what are you doing here? And mm -hmm. I'm like freaking out at this point because there's like this fucking exchange going on. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, he was like, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I know. And it was just super, super, super weird. And it was just like, yeah, so again, whether you believe in, in that kind of stuff or not. But it was, that was my first, and then we did the shoot. And it, like, when I was like modeling, like this whole, like what was coming, what was coming through my body and like everything and how I was posing and how I was moving. Like it just, it was me, but it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And like, it was very like, I felt very possessed in that shoot by this like, like energy that I, that still felt like me. Like it still felt mine, but it, it was a part of myself that I'd forgotten or didn't have access to, or I don't know. 
uh, and particularly having that like sort of like with with them that it was like kind of like we that this was also like a that I ended up doing that shoot with him and the whole process and how it happened and that it was like very much this feeling of like this other version of Nino and this other version of him and it being like what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Like, how did you get here? Do you know, like... What was his side? What was he... What did he say about the experience? He he was, like, just as, like, wilded out. He was, like, you know, like, I just... I feel like I'm remembering shit that is not from now. And, like, I... For him also, he yeah, felt... Like, to, like, that he knew me. That he knew me, that he'd met me before in this form, in this different energy. And it was, like, what are you... Like, why... Like, how did you get here? Why... Yeah. What are you doing here? You know, like so in a sense, he like was a also at the same time. So you, it was a it was a yeah, mutual thing. Like, oh yeah, wow! Yeah, it was it was super wild, and then it's ha- it's happened a few times afterwards in these uh, usually in like in ritual. So like either in shamanic shamanic ritualing or um, even in like meditation, like guided meditation, deep meditation. Um, I've been like thrown back and like you just see you know it's like a dream I guess but you're awake do you know it's like a really vivid dream uh, or a memory right. you're just kind of thrown back into like uh, this place and do you feel like you're kind of losing control do you feel in control a bit or? I never do actually because uh, it's usually I've <laughs> I had one <laughs> again this doesn't sound wild I don't know what to get into this shit but here we are this is my experiences I can't explain them but they happen um, I, I had uh, I actually once had a, a like a future life progression, depending on how you see time and space and whatever else. Like outside of quantum science, like I'm kind of under the belief that everything's happening at once and all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that was during a, I was having my akashic registers, I think. Um, but this particular, like this this badass Viking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> She can't, like, that, th- that's something that I, I feel like I regress to often, you know, like, that I feel, like, very, I don't know, maybe it was recent, <laughs> maybe it was, I don't know what, or maybe, or maybe in this, in this representation, like, I, of, of myself, I feel, like, aligned with it, um, and, and whenever I have, have that experience, uh, it never feels scary, because, like, it's, like, reconnecting with this, like, deep, power that I know I stood like is mine and I didn't know about it mm-hmm. until like I touch it and then I'm like wow she's a little bit scary in the sense of like I really feel like she doesn't give a fuck do you know like she doesn't give a fuck about whether it's like like in terms of good or bad or whatever like there's something very like domineering and all consuming about her energy which doesn't really align with me personally you know yeah. like I, I try and try and move in the light somewhat but yeah um, I don't think I've ever really seen your dark side kind of no. yeah you're always oh, so man. super positive she's, and she's fucking hardcore <laughs> too <laughs> yeah but yeah but how I, often I do does this happen like how often is it so I do a lot of shadow work I've done a lot of shadow work um I think like knowing me now probably difficult to maybe even imagine like the the background you know like I've been an addict and I've done a lot of crazy shit in my life and you know what kind of addict um so mostly cocaine was my my big drug of choice meow meow fucking hell that's in that's that feels like another lifetime <laughs> that's yeah. about past life life <laughs> like uh regressions yeah uh, methadrone um 
and yeah, party drugs. Like I, I was, a, you know, a, a recreational drug user that went that took it too far. Mm-hmm. You know, like where I got to a point where I was very dependent on drugs. I was taking drugs. You know, I was drinking every day and I was taking drugs at least four times a week. You know, and sometimes, you know, sometimes just like in my day to day life, like just a quick quick bump <laughs> <laughs> to keep you going through the day. And drinking very heavily, like from the minute I woke up until I went to bed and uh and yeah it was really it started off like I was a raver a misbehavior mm-hmm. and, uh, a rebel just, uh, yeah and going through a really a really dark period of my life I just left home I was 16 I moved to London from Spain to a new country um I was in a living in a in a difficult situation emotionally in terms of like my family dynamic and everything what was happening um, to your family so my uh I, I had moved, I left home and went to London. I moved in with my aunt and uncle and my when I where like the week that I moved, my uncle in Spain passed away, um, mm. and so I went back to Spain again and went to the funeral and everything. And you know he was he was super important in my life. And then I uh, went back to London and about four months afterwards, my uncle that I moved in with was diagnosed with, with cancer, which is what my uncle John had passed away from. Uh, and so it kind of felt like I'd just gone through this whole process with with John before I moved. You know, he was hospitalized for a long time and I was like 15 and spending most of my weekends in the hospital with him and um, going through also like very, very close with his son, my cousin. It's actually like you have like a very sibling relationship and we were just, that was all the rest of my family was in the UK and it was just me and my mom and John and Lee with mm-hmm. like the family in, in Spain. So... So you feel that like losing them kind of made you just yeah like it, it was just emptiness. and then sort of like go moving and going through the whole process of like leaving home like being a teenager moving to a different country although I looked and sounded English like culturally I just wasn't and so mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I almost fit in but and not quite right, and like yeah. um, I'd also grown up in a really tight knit community with friends that I've known literally my entire life you know like our moms were all pregnant together like literally my entire <laughs> life and now I was like such an outsider and everyone else knew each other since they were kids and then yeah. like I was just starting from scratch starting from scratch exactly and um and it was so cold <laughs> sounds ridiculous <laughs> but it was so cold to me uh and then like obviously moving in with my uncle and then my uncle being diagnosed with terminal cancer like sh- four months into my stay there after I just kind of lost somebody as well and I guess it was just a lot emotionally to go through at a young age and I think you know I was already coming into it with like I say I was a raving misbehavior I'd already even at 16 I'd already experienced a lot in life and and not all of it not all of it pretty Um, and yeah so that was like a tough time and I really went into I went into I went into drugs and really self-abuse I think like was ultimately you know at, at the core of a lot of my behavior I was also you know at that point struggling yeah. with an eating disorder I was anorexic bulimic yeah, abusing drugs and in you know a series of unhealthy relationships with with men and boys you know guys my age and what would you say older. is like one of the lowest points or like that you've had in my life ever with well with your addiction and the drugs and the abuse of like all these chemical substances i think like 
I think so much of so one of the things as well, and this is like a a blessing and a curse of growing up, the daughter of a therapist, and and always being kind of quite emotionally aware, even if I wasn't, even if not in practice in my own life, um, I could talk the talk. So I think when I was going through a lot of the stuff that I went through as a teenager, um, particularly, I was very good at wearing a mask. Mm it you know the poker face if you can yeah make. yeah so and even when you know because things did get to a point of being so out of control that it was inevitable that people were noticing you know it was like I was clearly not okay you know my school put me in therapy and um I had to go see a counselor and stuff like that but what were you doing in school that was like were you just acting doing out drugs. <laughs> doing drugs in school yeah like taking drugs drinking like um oh, okay. yeah I can remember like like kicking off as well having like really big emotional outbursts you know like oh, okay. like kick off at teachers or cry or whatever and one day i i went in and kicked off at one of the teachers and was like you have no idea <laughs> you can't tell me shit you have no idea you think i'm worried about fucking media studies right now i don't give a fuck bro you have no idea what my life is like take your mock exam and shove it up your ass <laughs> And I got sent to like the head of six at the time. And he was like in a lesson or something. So I had to just go and sit in his office. Anyway, by the time he got out of his lesson and came to find me, I was like, had fallen asleep and like woke up vomiting like in his office, right? Because I'd come to school from like, I'd been out that night. Um, so I was on a pretty gnarly come down. And, um, how did, how did they handle yeah. it? Did they handle it well? Oh, he had, like super well. Like he he was an amazing he was an amazing person, an amazing teacher, and you know like the support was there. You know within my family and everything like the support was there if I if I was ready to take it. You know, ultimately at the end of all of this shit, I guess my low point was uh, I already at this point also struggled with chronic health issues and. Um, I'm gonna leave that for later. <laughs> <laughs> I'd already been struggling with chronic health issues since I was 12, like, and uh, I had like this year or year and a bit where I was like really like abusing substances and, and I ended up having a health crush. Like, what, uh, uh, what issues did you have? So I, I originally got sick with uh, glandular fever, mono, mononucleosis or Hepstein bar, and uh, it just knocked me like for sick. Like, I was really, 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 really sick. And I just never really recovered. I never got better. And I sort of like was teetering on the, I kind of got a little bit better, but I never fully recovered and the glands never went down. And I was having a lot of digestive problems and issues um, with like migraines and just loads of stuff like hormonal imbalances mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And it's like not medication and nothing just really kind of worked. Um, and at the same time, you're doing all these drugs. And so this was like before, and then I went to the UK and went through all of this shit, started taking loads of drugs, and it's like yeah. petrol on a fire, right? <laughs> like my, my body could not take it. So it wasn't very long-lived, my, my uh, like okay. real spiral. I mean, I've, it's taken me many years after that to address and heal and go through my, my relationship with addiction. You know, I would also say I'm a resourceful addict, not just <laughs> drugs and alcohol. Like I can take anything and make it work for me if I want to, right? Um, so it's taken a lot of years of becoming conscious of that part, like, you know, that aspect of myself and working through it. Um, but in terms of like the thought out, like, 
you know, abusing substances to to the to the fullest extent. Um, it didn't it didn't go for very long because then I just got so sick. sick. I was bed bound for about three months, three or four months. I had to drop out of school. I couldn't even walk, you know. Um, and that was that's when you started like turning it around. Or? Yeah, and I, I I was like I was very very depressed, um, you know, at that time, and I felt like. I felt like a failure, you know, I had to like leave school and I was like, look, like I'm going to end up being what everyone probably thought I would be, <laughs> you mm. know, like this like burnout mess, like, um, and yeah, I was, I was deeply depressed. Um, and I actually remember having a conversation with my mom and I was like, uh, I was like, mom, like, I love you and I never want to hurt you, but I need you to know that if this is my life, I'm not going to do it. Right. Like, I can't, you know, I yeah, can't sleep around for this shit, man. It's just, like, not worth it to me. Like, I don't, I don't want to be here. What'd you say? Um, and my mom was like, you know, maybe let's try something else first. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. Um, and she was like, you know, like, if you don't like your life, like, you've got to do something different, you know, like, and I've got you, but I can't do it for you, like, I wish I could, but I can't, you know, I can't fix this for you, I'll do anything right. to facilitate it for you, wow. you know, what's the help that you need, where do we, like, you know, that's like, amazing, that's, I got you, I'll pay for it, or whatever it is that needs to be done to get you to a happier place. But unfortunately, like, you have to do it yourself, babe. <laughs> right, mom is very wise. Yeah, yeah, she's incredible, I'm super lucky. And that was, yeah, that was a big turning point. It definitely wasn't the, the oh, everything turned around and everything was perfect after that. You know, I've had a long journey of personal development, which is why I work in personal development. Mm. I've seen the power of it play out in my life in many incredible ways um but that was definitely a turning point and I did I've started actually uh going down an alternative route you know like I said I've been on medications and shit like with doctors and just never really worked for me and never really got to the bottom like I felt like I was just like putting plasters on bullet wounds you know it was mm -hmm. like everything that was given to me in terms of like medication was all to silence symptoms but it was not curative and I was like, I got to a point where I was like, I feel like my symptoms are all I have <laughs> to go by. Like I need to hear them to even begin to figure out what's going on. And yeah, I went down a more alternative route and started doing both. Like I, I was working uh, with an acupuncturist. I also did like craniosacral massage and homeopathy and, uh, and also did a lot of talk therapy. I started doing the emotional work. And yeah. Uh, and he was he was an um, amazing person, Spencer Joseph. If you're out there, never forget you. <laughs> um, Who? Spencer Joseph. His okay. name is. He's in London, and uh, yeah, he's 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 a really really incredible person. That's dope. So like, I mean, in a, in a sense, it's. I feel that a lot of the people who are able to help other people with coaching and and um, and whatever it's if you're a psychologist or people who need help. It's people who have gone through things. I believe that. Yeah, I mean, I if, believe that. if you never have gone through any of this, I mean, yeah, you could help people and you have the knowledge, you can read books and all that stuff, but once, if you haven't experienced it yourself, it's, 
I believe that to be true. It's always been my my personal experience and how I've gone in terms of my own therapeutic practice. Like I always uh, find people that have got through stuff that I've yeah, yeah. Know, relatable. Um, your yeah, that I'm struggling with. Right. It's not. It's not everyone's way of seeing it. It's not everyone's belief. Uh, you know, there are people that really like put faith in academia mm-hmm. um, in a bigger way like I it's just not doesn't like necessarily resonate with me don't get me wrong like I've, I've studied as a coach as well and plan to continue doing so and to to get you know my, my, I'd like to do actual therapy qualifications at some point but I feel like nothing's more valuable than actually having like you can read about it you can theorize like even in your own in your own therapeutic practice as well it's like it's not really when you're in therapy and being you know told or or things are coming out in therapy that you've necessarily got it it's like what happens in your life when you're faced with that trigger again next time have you actually integrated this work and is the behavior different you Mm -hmm. know like do you are you using the tools in your toolbox is it happening and i think that for me, you know, when I, I went through a, another big shift in my life, 25 up until now, 28 now, over the last three years, I've had another very, very low period of my life. And uh, and all related, right? Because I'm the same person and it's the same life. Um, but more stuff coming sort of back up and back around. I was like, oh, you better look at this shit or it's just going to keep being like this. <laughs> You're going to keep keep going on this like... Loop. Crash and burn. Um, but it was catalytic, catalytic enough that I was very much like, right, this is, this what, is it. Like, I just point? can't. What happened? I, well, I had another health crash. Like I was... I was bodybuilding at the time and putting my body under a whole load of str- more addiction stuff at the end of the day. Different different drug. Yeah, same you, sh- shit. You're a, I, <laughs> you showed me your bodybuilding yeah. uh, things and it's insane this, what yeah. you were doing. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were really, you were really in hard, in hardcore. Hard, yeah, definitely. Like, and again, an- another absolute, like, seeking something, seeking healing outside of myself, seeking validation outside of myself, seeking whatever else, tied into my issues with food, disordered eating, like I, you know, I found a, a, again, a great fucking mask for it, Mm -hmm. you know, like when you're anorexic, when you're bulimic, when you're being sick all the time, or when you're getting dangerously thin, people know that there's something wrong, when you're muscly as hell, and you're disordered to get there, nobody knows, everyone rewards you for it, you know, everyone's like, you look so healthy you look amazing like I was absolutely out of my mind um you know and the people closest to me recognized that it was a problem but I I wasn't I didn't want to hear it you know this is what I'm doing you just don't get the lifestyle like right. it's not about it bro <laughs> you know <laughs> so what, um, what was the lifestyle of like bodybuilding for me it was like pure obsession it was like my whole life like everything revolved around my meals and my training and anything outside of it was a distraction and it got to the point particularly towards the end where you know i like i couldn't enjoy social interactions because i wasn't in you know if i go out for dinner i'm not in complete control of like what's going in my body and I didn't mm-hmm. want to drink and I didn't want to be out late and then be tired for training the next day. And I was training seven days a week. So there was no, 
you know, there was no yeah, rest. Seven quiet. days a week. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that something that's not healthy? Yeah. But as a bodybuilder, yeah, it's yeah. not even like it. But it's the mindset. Doesn't matter. It's, it's just like, like no, you seven know, days. you know, like you, of course, you know. Especially, I was qualified. I was a coach. I was a trainer. I would, like you know, the not rules. do what I you're was told. telling my clients <laughs> to do. Right? You're like you tell know? your clients, hey, you should take a rest day, or and you're like not resting yourself. No, not at all. And I, I was often training twice a day, and I was doing excessive amounts of cardio, like you know, like you recommended, like. 10,000 steps a day, I was getting like 30, 40,000 steps a day, <laughs> plus doing cardio at the gym, plus like training, plus Plus eating. looking hep- heavy, like you were yeah, looking I really was, heavy. Yeah, yeah, I was strong as hell. What were some um, of your uh, your weights that you were pushing up? Oh uh, God, it's hard for me to even remember now, honestly. Um, but yeah, that, like, yeah, like squats over 100 kilos, mm-hmm. deadlift same. Yeah, everything was, you know, I was, you know, I'm five one as well. Back then, you know, I was a lot smaller than I am now, even though I was very muscular. Oh. Um, but I was very petite. I was like six six. I don't, I don't know what that is in American UK. Mm. Smart, smart <laughs> actually. But I was very strong. I was very strong for my stature, and you know, just recognizing biological facts of gender, like a, for a woman. Um, like very very strong it wasn't always 100 percent natural um and uh yeah it was it was you know again like all of it like i wouldn't change it i don't right. regret it i don't you know because i also within that period of like fitness in my life some of like the, the best memories i've ever had and you know some of the with like friends and, like, and meeting people or? yeah and just like like riding the wave as well of like fitness instagram when it first happened you know like uh-huh. i was like you know in in the beginning of that whole fit fam online community um and and my page did super well you know like i had when i was doing fitness i had like half like over half a million followers on instagram and like my youtube was popping off and i was going to like loads of meet and greets and like you know like having sponsorship deals and mm. like meeting people that like when i had first started training i used to watch their youtube videos and look up to them and like aspire to be like them and suddenly like i was meeting them hanging out with them like doing you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um to the ego of a of a 22 year old fucking <laughs> awesome shit like it was it was a really good time um but it was ultimately like yeah heavily like heavily toxic and and disordered and ended up like in yeah another health crash like burnout um and during that period of like my life as well i feel like i was going through a lot of shifts anyway um you know like i ended a really long-term relationship and um had a very messy situation there and uh was like trying to do stuff in business i had like i had a business like what I was working as an influencer and I had a PT business and things were all kind of going well but then all this stress was like Mm. kept blocking me and it was like I kept having like these almost break moments you know like where somebody like a company that I was like really really into like wanted to take me on as a um, athlete or whatever and then like I would have my stress coming in mm. and it would somehow just like deteriorate shit would just like the minute that I was allowing like the stress into my life more and more or like feeding the negative things in my life like 
all of the positive things would just dry up. And I feel like mm. looking back, it was so like the universe was like, this is what's fucking available to you. You've got, you've got to yeah. do the work. I can't do it for you. Like the same thing my mom told me when I was <laughs> 18 years old. Do you know what I mean? Or 17 years old. It's like, it's, you know, you, you, your life's not working. You've got to do something differently. Um, what would you recommend for someone maybe uh, trying to get into the field that maybe bodybuilding or exercise and would you recommend to, and for them to escape anything or to not do I feel like there's I feel like oh, I'm gonna be honest with you and probably there's gonna be people that don't want to hear this or don't, don't like it I think that 99.9% of bodybuilders have a problem <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that you almost have to have a bit of a problem to make it work because it is one sport where it is actually not based on performance in terms of competition mm -hmm. like the competition itself is based on aesthetics um, okay. How you and look. so you don't necessarily and of course you have to work really hard behind the scenes to get to that competition to get to that physical level whatever else but if by the time you're up on that stage you're near like death doesn't matter because mm. you're not going to be judged on that <laughs> do you know mm. um and you really do have to push your body to uh, crazy extent um that often isn't healthy there's a lot of bolus coaches out there there's a lot of people that you know have no issue with causing severe damage to your body in order to get a trophy and get some recognition for themselves you know um i think it's a dangerous sport i think it's a dangerous game i think you've got to be incredibly self-aware if you have any body image issues issues with food issues like in terms of disordered eating all the rest of it it's just a trap right you know so you have to be a really secure person i'm sure there's people out there that you know have a healthy relationship with it and can just like right this is just part of my job and i'm going and getting it done it's just such an invasive sport because it's not like when you're going when you're competing in bodybuilding when you're particularly if you're going like going for pro and that's what you want and that's the path that i was on before i had my health crash you know i wanted to go for pro and like i never did it because i got sick um i got sick during prep for my first competition and mm. you know didn't finish prep the way that i would have wanted to because my body was giving out on me and um did one show and was like nah, nah. <laughs> this is not, not this is not gonna work I, I wanted it still, you know, I still wanted it. Even when I got sick, I was like, this is just a phase. I'm going to be back, but whatever. Um, do you think like I it had to do? What? Yeah, sorry. No, no with the, like a coach, like, did you have any, um, I mean, I'm sure you had good coaching, but what are some um, bad coaching or not bad, but just things that were bogus mm -hmm. in the sense of, because I, I, I mean, coaching is really big with, uh, or did you have a lot of coaching? Was it just yourself? doing it no i did i did work with coaches i think as well like i'm super reluctant to criticize coaches often because i think that again like any form of work now it's much it's it's much to do with your relationship with that person mm -hmm. um and like you're like it's very individual you know so it's like oh i've never really publicly come out and criticized coaches that i've worked with even if they haven't worked for me okay. um for the simple reason that just because it didn't work for me doesn't mean that it wouldn't necessarily work for somebody else. So what? Are, yeah, what are some things that do work? Like um, what are coaching styles that you like? I think that I think that something that's sorely lacking in, in fitness. I was actually discussing this today. 
mm. on Instagram uh, with a with a fitness coach. I think something that's sorely lacking in the fitness industry in coaching in in a general term is I think there's a like is is flexibility and and an ability to like meet your clients where they are. Um, I think that a lot of people masquerade under tough love when really it's a inflexibility and actually an incapability to adapt to their clients needs so mm. if your attitude is like you just got to follow the protocols that i'm fucking giving you and make it work and if it doesn't work for it for you then you're getting you're like you know you're not strong enough you know like you're failing your problem yeah. do you know like somebody can do that for themselves <laughs> do you know if if somebody hires a coach, it's your job to take this person in the circumstance that they're in, with everything that comes with a whole human being, for better or for worse, and you make a training regime and a diet plan that works for that individual. Mm -hmm. The individual shouldn't have to pull themselves apart to meet your criteria as a coach. Of course, when we get to bodybuilding, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more extreme. Of course, you have to be able to adapt more. But again, like as a coach, you need to know when to pull things back. Like you're putting, particularly when it gets to the level of competing, you're putting your entire trust of your body into someone else's hands yeah. on a hormonal level, on a chemical level, on everything. Do you know? Mm -hmm. So if like your client's starting to lag in ways like you should have both like the scientific knowledge and like the loss of ego to say, slow it down. Yeah. We need to bring this up. We need to do this. We need to be adapting and making because the outcome is ultimately burnout. Yeah, I, I um, so I think that that's, that's fa like that's failing. And I think it's failing even more on social media because it's like coaches want like their clients to be the sickest, most shredded, most <laughs> da, 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 just as much as athletes want to be. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Like it's that reflect on, on them. Um, you know, when I competed, I think I would have benefited with being told that this show wasn't for me and pull it back. Rain, like, you know, actually maybe even have a little feed <laughs> um, and do a later show. You know, and I ended up doing a show that and pushing my body to an it like what ended being ended up being a catastrophic level. You know, I was on thyroid medication for two years after competing. You know, I pushed my body to such a, a high extreme that I was, you know, really very sick as a result of it. Um, yeah. So, and because I was impatient, but it's like you know, I wanted to do it, but that's where like you know I, I feel I would have been better at just being like you're not ready, right? You know, like this one, you know, there's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another one in two months. You know, there's another one in three months. By the time I competed as well, I feel like I'd already peaked. Um, by the time I went on stage, I was flat. Uh, I feel like I could have also played around with carbon water and salt manipulations before competing is we went in kind of blind not knowing how my body was going to react to everything what on the day carbon water um, so just like basically like how you're gonna when you get to that level of lean like being that level of lean and you're so like depleted um manipulations on show day are like a very like precise 
level at that point and it's like it's your like your salt intake and what food are you having are you having carbohydrates are you have like are you completely water fasting or are you like sipping water you having you want to be dry right mm-hmm. like you don't want to be carrying any water weight any water retain retention um on the day like you want to be dry carbs are going to pump you up also depending on your class you don't necessarily want that you know particularly in like women's like um like divisions when you're going in like a fitness yeah. like bikini or fitness or right. whatever um you know you don't want to go on looking like veins popping although you still want to look feminine and right. like whatever else okay i get it so yeah i wish that we had trial run that more i wish that we had like played around more with with my body and i don't think that that's 100% on my coach either i think that it was also to do with the headspace that i was in at the time where i was put like this was my lifeline because i was putting all of my self worth into this competition and it was like taking prep was taking up all of the space in my life and i was going through this horrible breakup and this was like mm-hmm. my safe sort of space um and distraction from from that side of things I was also in a highly stressed situation as well which is just not ideal when you're trying to compete in bodybuilding because right. like again on a hormonal level like cortisol overtraining cortisol like it's just going to make it harder to yeah. to shift fat and also being um, in a relationship with all these different stress levels it's yeah. it's hard like dating it as a bodybuilder it's like impossible right or not impossible but I feel like when i look back to that period of my life like if i had to use one word to describe it it'd be desperate i was like desperately like trying to fucking cling to something right um and i found it in bodybuilding and i was like take out all of that stuff like i still love training i actually really enjoy dieting <laughs> like um i really enjoy you know like now with more balance or whatever but when i get into a flow with like i really like eating healthy food that feels like i'm nourishing my body do you mm-hmm. know what i mean i don't i enjoy it actually like my favorite yeah. i would say like obviously i love a pizza i love a <laughs> but in general terms like probably my favorite meal would just be like fish salad rice like mm-hmm. typical bodybuilding meal like it doesn't have to be dry it doesn't have to be dry chicken or turkey like yeah. you can make it nice you don't have to weigh then, it and proportion it and and yeah, exact like carbohydrates generally speaking i could eat something like that i could eat like some fish some salad some rice like every meal really happily because it feels good you know and even in terms of competing like the whole process of getting ready and getting my bikini and my sparkly shoes and my tan <laughs> my tanning lady in london um that that did my did my tan for my show is incredible and like i really enjoyed all of that stuff like and even going up and i was so i didn't know if i was going to get stage i've always had stage fright so i i remember like saying to my friends and like that went to watch my show i was like i might not come out <laughs> like this is warning you when i come out but i ended up super enjoying it and it was like also very much like i felt like super accomplished um or like i tripped on stage like that's another thing i didn't i didn't really do any posing practice mm. before my show uh so i wish i'd done that <laughs> right. really important <laughs> super to know important. how to pose as a bodybuilder um yeah 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 it's just actually like it's something that you get judged on so it's super super important yeah um, so so like what do you so now that i mean you do coaching now that's uh, your yeah. thing so yeah. 
So how do you, how does that work? What kind of clients you do or? Uh, so I'm sort of coming back into my coach. I feel like now, I feel like I'm starting a new business. So I've been a coach for, for many years. And if you include fitness coaching, which I do feel a lot of it was, that's where I began coaching. Right. You know, like even though I was, I was training people, I, I always, when I wasn't working as a personal trainer or as a fitness coach, my focus was always on long-term goals. So I was always like, people came to me and they're like, I've got a holiday in three months. I'd be like, go find somebody else. It's going to take a while. Um, and I did a lot of like, let's strip it down to the bare bones. You're going to learn like technique, proper technique, like when it comes to diet, like and, and the rest of it, like uh, obviously I'm not a dietitian, but like just making adaptations and everything to, to what you're eating, what's going to be ironically about your relationship with you know I was giving my clients what I needed at the time I wasn't following it but I was teaching it and um and, and it worked you know a lot of my clients did you know I, I it was about like the mindset you're going in on the mindset side of things to make this permanent shift in your life it's about a lifestyle about health it's not a fad diet or a quick fix or whatever some of my clients, it's like you're going to be in here for three months before you even touch a heavy weight mm. because you're not touching a heavy weight until your form's flipped and until mm. your like alignment, you find like your body alignment. And I, I really enjoyed working with that, like when something wasn't working, like watching how somebody's body moves and coming down to like the root, you know. And I worked like, you know, I had um, physiotherapists and osteopaths and things like that that I knew that I worked with that I would refer my clients to and it would be like right you need to go and see this person and have a full MOT and then come back to me with it yeah. but I was like very You're in depth in the work in that depth, I did yeah. you started with what you knew um, and and you developed the foundation yeah I guess your important thing was building a foundation and doing things correctly before we yeah 100% um, and it was like and then when we're training in the gym like everything that I told my clients to do I told them why we're doing it Nice. So it was always like it's learn like I'm giving you a skill set like you're probably like you could go and work with another PT for three months and you might be skinny for your holiday. You're probably going to be working with me for six months to a year, but when you graduate, you'll never need me or another PT again. That's amazing. Like you'll have it all. Like there's longevity in it. You know. Yeah, it's like you don't give them the fish; you teach them to fish. Exactly. Then, yeah. That was a hundred percent like my my business and it's a, a lot of people get stuck in scarcity and they don't want to do that right because they want you to like bounce back to them continuously mm. do you know like and if you fall off and you need to come back and be reminded oh like that was it that was <laughs> my, my work you know yeah, it was yeah. like i'm gonna remind you like who you are i'm gonna remind you how powerful you are you can have this like you're worthy of having this like healthy body and right. feeling good in your body and uh if you need to come back at some time and just be like a little bit reminded but really you already know yeah because you have the foundation you have all the techniques you've trained them enough with it themselves they just kind of forgot and so you did fitness and then now what what are you doing mostly um so then i moved when i left i left fitness i started going into mindset coaching i did my nlp prep course like learned to to do nlp and and started i also have a background i've done like i've done so many different jobs (laughs) Um, <laughs> 20, uh, Jackie 20, of all trades. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I know a little bit about everything and I don't know everything about anything. But um, yeah, so I, I, I was PTing and I was also working in marketing in London, both like obviously within my own personal brand as an influence and everything, but I was actually working as a marketing manager too. And um, so I kind of took that when I, when I got sick, I was like, how am I going to PT people? 
if I can't even keep myself in shape, you know, mm. like I was like this ripped little mini beast. And then I wasn't, and I, I actually gained like a lot, a lot of weight initially, like a, a lot, a lot of weight very quickly. And so I didn't feel comfortable PTing people. Uh, and I kind of was over it. Like I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd always wanted to be a coach since I was in secondary school. Like I wanted to, I wanted to be a, th a therapist or a coach. And um, I didn't feel like I'd lived enough to really do it. But so I wanted to start moving into coaching, but still felt like, again, I'm not really ready to do the stuff that I really want to do because I feel like I'm, I'm a very much a, a walk the walk, not a talk the talk okay. kind of person. Yeah. So I'm not showing up and teaching anybody how to do anything that I haven't done. Uh, and that I don't know exactly what I'm doing. Like, until I'm, like, totally, like, yeah, this is second nature to me. I can teach you how to do it, no problem. Um, I'm not doing it. So I kind of, like, started moving more into coaching and taking from, like, NLP, like, the work that I had already done within the mindset side of things when I was a personal trainer and within marketing. I kind of brought these things together and I started working, coaching people in mindset more in a business business capacity about mm. like in terms of their business um and I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed coaching but I felt like really capped by this thing because I could see sometimes I was working with people and it's like is your mindset coaching this business it's like part of me is like I have to get you out of this funk to like do what you need to do in your business right now and like kind of motivate you and like particularly NLP is very like that it's like very like hacking people's mind processes yeah. to get them back onto like what they're supposed to be doing um nlp what's I, that what's nlp neurolinguistic programming it's like you know like tony robbins oh yeah tony robbins yeah well, he's like the most famous nlp coach i would say a lot of his a lot of his his work is based on nlp but what is a what is that i mean Neuristic, obviously, if your neurons, your brain, or your the name's actually pretty random, um, but it, it, it's just it's just a, a bunch of strategies and tools, like any like style, I guess, of coaching or therapy okay. or whatever, um, psychotherapy or whatever. It's a, it's a school of teaching or okay. a way of, of of coaching people. But to me, it can be very effective. But it it just wasn't like it just wasn't it just wasn't working for me because sometimes I was working people and I'm like right I need to keep you on track and your business thing but I can see you have a, a wound that has nothing to do with business that's playing out in your business right now and that's what's blocking you and until we go in and heal this wound it's not gonna work it's mm. never really gonna work but I've got six weeks to get you earning money. And if we open this can of worms, like this could be three years, <laughs> do you know? So I felt like super like, yeah, kind of like torn in the situation. And sometimes even like my integrity was kind of not in alignment, you know, because I felt like I was, yeah, I'm putting plasters and bullet wounds and kind of on other people and consciously to try and fit the time frame. Uh, and the job at task it's like I'm ultimately you didn't come to me for therapy <laughs> you didn't come to me to work on your childhood trauma you came here to make money to earn a bit like you know mm -hmm. to, to build a business and to make money so this is where I have to put my focus but I can see that that over there is tying into this uh, over here and if I open this can of worms with you this is not happening in six weeks <laughs> 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 because this is going to absolutely eclipse anything else 
and that's a much longer period period of work yeah. you're gonna do so i was like but i was more interested in that over there right that yeah. i wasn't you making you're, money you're interested in the like, dark side yeah it. i was like i don't actually really care about this over here <laughs> i want to look at like tell me about your childhood trauma let's do this <laughs> and so it was like very like illuminating to me of like okay like definitely like exactly i love the shadow work i love going in with the dark i i think like i live my life from the places that most people try and avoid mm-hmm. <laughs> forever, do you know, like I'm totally down to to dive in deep um, and hold space for other people to do that as well. It's, it's a, a, a great honor right. and a, a beautiful thing to do. Um, and so through doing this job, I became super clear that that's the, it, that it's that stuff over there that like I'm interested in doing. Like let's do the nitty gritty. But at the time, I was doing my own nitty gritty, like at, at, a, at another level, at a deeper level. I'd like, like moved out of bodybuilding and like had a health mm. crash. My business lost my personal training business that I spent years building up gone. Uh, the body that I had been cultivating for years gone. In like you know, I gained so much weight so quickly because I was having issues with my thyroid. Um, I ended up running out of money. I was spending all my money on rent and like existing when I didn't have money coming in. Um, got myself into like quite a scary financial situation, ended up having to leave my house. And I was like, what the hell do I do? And I went home. I went back home 10 years after I'd left home mm. um, for the first time. And that meant also moving country, right? Going back to Spain from London, one of the, like, the biggest metropolitan cities in the world with so much opportunity to like my mom's house in the mountains. Wow, that's a An big... hour's walk from the closest shop, middle of nowhere. Yeah. That's a big shot to like, yeah, like yourself, right. like your confidence is like, ah, what? Absolutely. And it was like everything that I envisioned for my life, I guess, like after going through the first health crash, this is like Cash's life story at this point. <laughs> but after going through my first health crash and like coming out of, you know, going through like a process of sobriety and all the rest of it. Like when I came through that and I found fitness and it was like the shift from being like this raver burnout kind of like bad girl to becoming like you know I was like a naughty kid and like I was a bit of a bad cat I used to get in a lot of fights I was like yeah it was just like everything like you know the the nightmare teenager I was doing it doing it <laughs> moving the, the hands the Spaniard in me hablando con las manos siempre but no it was it was I I did this like outside shift like after that it was like right okay like turn around my life but I did a lot more on the outside and made it filter in rather than doing the deep inner work and making it filter out right so it was like right okay so sobriety training I eat right I do this I do it's like um I work and I threw myself into all of these things that I thought made me a good person I thought made me a respectable person um someone of worth someone of value of whatever so it was like right like totally focused in onto those sides of things and I found all of my worth in that and also in 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 my relationship at the time you know I was like my childhood sweetheart uh in a very like way too grown up relationship for our age um and so that was it it was like the gym mm, my work my career and my relationship and that's how I found value and deep down inside me there still wasn't any so all of the things that I was trying to get value from (laughs) weren't working obviously uh, and 
they were all becoming messier and messier and messier. Um, and I was sort of, even within fitness, you know, even within that, it was like, of course, because of like social media and everything, I was getting a lot of praise, but, and I enjoyed training a lot, my own personal training, but I never wanted a career in fitness. Mm. I just ended up in this path. And then I was getting like, again, this value, this like validation from it, which is the whole purpose of it in my life, <laughs> do you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I like, so it's like every time I was offered opportunities and then it'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my ego is like, yeah, but like deep down, I'm like, I don't want to do that shit. Like, do you feel that wanted. maybe in a sense, that's why you kind of failed because it was also maybe a self-sabotage? Completely, 100%. Right. And so, and so then like when I lost everything, like I had such, like I literally, I had a complete like ego death, do you mm. know? Like it was a total, like you say, moving back home, 25 and it was like, no money, no job, single. Like I'd been in a relationship at that point since I was 17. Like I literally thought, like I thought 25, like I was looking at like marriage, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and here I am like starting from fucking scratch, starting from zero yeah. and not just like in that, in terms of that, like in terms of everything, you know, I, I went home, I had like my bank account was empty yeah. and I had no idea what it was gonna do for work for whatever and that was th three years ago right yeah it's, it's not even that long ago and, no right no, you I seem know. like so, you have it all together now yeah like it, it was it, it's been a wild ride and i think like i think there's something in that as well of like how quickly really you can absolutely turn your life around right. um and and you know like there was the, the whole process to me ending up like broke, homeless, alone, miserable, depressed. <laughs> I mean, name it all. You've hell been crashed, it you know what I mean? Like it was Addiction, this amal everything. amalgamation. This last one was just like everything. I lost everything. And, and that happened over a process of years, probably another three years before that, where everything was getting like spiraling, down, spiraling, yeah. spiraling, spiraling. And with a lot of resistance from me and, and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering through that, those three years. But the, the, the point where I ended up with nothing that should have been like the lowest point was like the beginning of the, the fixing. Do you know what I mean? Like that was actually, that wasn't the lowest point. The lowest point was in the spiraling. <laughs> like when I got there and I had like nothing and I went back home and of course like my ego is defeated. I was super embarrassed and like, felt like a loser but there was also this element or this aspect of like feeling the freest I've ever felt I had ever felt wow. in my life I know what you're talking about Let me see. like I had no ties to anything outside of myself anymore and it was like all of this shit that I had been like resistantly clinging to right. whilst it's all spiraling out of control was all shit I didn't actually want do you know How I was miserable in my relationship I wow. didn't really want, I wasn't in the career that I wanted, do you know, like I wasn't, you know, none of it that was actually like, none of it was actually what I wanted. And I was clinging to it because it was how I was validating myself in life. It was where I was pulling value from. And then when it was all gone, there was a massive part of me that was like, thank God. <laughs> like, 
Wow. I'm free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually free. Like all of these like burdens that have been pulling up my energy for years that I thought mattered are finally gone and I don't have to deal with it anymore. And then began the process of like, right, okay, so obviously we figured out that validation from the outside doesn't work. <laughs> Let's go in, baby girl. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. I, I, I can see that. Like as you're seeing these things, I can see a lot of people that they're stuck doing, they're not stuck, but they're doing these jobs or these careers or this lifestyle where they are addicted to maybe the validation or they're, they're doing things that they believe they want to do, but they don't really want to do. Yeah. And once, once you get rid of it, you feel like you can breathe again. You have this weight lifted off. 100%. And for me, it was so like, again, like, you know, when it comes to shadow work, when it comes to like ego death, when it comes to whatever else, I had like a sobering look in the mirror and let go of the idealized version of myself. Uh, okay. So it was yeah. like this, I'm living this life pretending to be this idealized version of myself that I'm supposed to be, who's cash? Mm. Actually, do you know, when you take all of this away, it was like, I've got, like, I've got nothing. I'm starting from zero. I can do, be, become whatever I want, Freedom. whatever I want. Yeah. I can do anything. So like, actually, who am I? And what did you come up with? Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Cash? Who the is Cash? Back to the beginning. <laughs> back to the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it was. You yeah. know, it was back to the beginning. It was. There were so many parts of myself that I had lost touch with through, like, life. And I'm, you know, my, my story is, there's nothing incredible about my story. It's actually, like, mundane. Everybody is going through these processes of, of loss and learning and unlearning and undoing. Do you know, and it's like a, I take things to the extreme because I'm just a big personality <laughs> like that. But you know, in, yeah. in in essence, it's just a it's just a human experience, yeah. it's just a human journey, just like anyone else's. Um, it's like the same, same but different. Same, same but different. And I think that it, it was like there was there was so much of it that was like meeting myself, like being like reborn like dying and being born again being baptized um, yeah. your grandma <laughs> right like, uh. <laughs> um, here you are as a baby again like realizing yeah, yourself like so reparenting you know like going back in and do like you know healing my inner child i remember the first time i was in a therapy session and my therapist told me to start working with my inner child and he was like you can take a cushion and you can hold it and you can pretend that this is you as your yeah. inner child and i was like like dude are you nuts like, what am I doing? get out of here <laughs> That's ridiculous nonsense. Now it's part of my internal monologue <laughs> that just happens innately by itself. Really? Like I don't even have to try and do you it. Do like I feel like my inner child coming up and like I'm in my empowered adult holding space for her to just be whatever she needs to be. Let's play or let's cry or let's whatever. But I've got it now. You don't need to like take responsibility. Really? You know, you don't need to be How do you imagine yourself as an inner child then when you do this? Do you just so I think it's a, like again, again energies right it's the energies that can't like ultimately like your, your inner child like we all have like our, our inner child or our shadow or our whatever and, and it, you can give them different names right do you know like the name doesn't actually important if the name doesn't resonate with you that's absolutely fine the process is really the same and it's like for, for me when i started going down this healing journey it was so much deep. i i thought i was going to go back to my mom's house for like three months really? tops like let's get back on our feet and go back out there like come on so quick quick three years later like <laughs> <laughs> but it was you know i think like when it comes to when you start going into this deep 
therapeutic process, it's this deep healing process, you start discovering all these elements and these aspects of yourself, whatever name you want to give them. Um, and your inner, your, your inner child is, is the, the child within for the good and the bad of that. Do you know what I mean? I think like even fitness, training, like when you're going to the gym, you're playing. It's adult mm. play. When you go you're swimming in the sea, clubbing, dancing, yeah. it's an yeah. adult playground. Playing. You know, it's like that's your inner child's going to come out a lot in in those things that are fun. Your inner child also carries the wounds of your childhood. No matter what your childhood was like, no matter like your parents can be great people. Your parents can be amazing people. They're still human beings, flawed human beings. They probably didn't get it right for you all the time. Right. Even if they did their absolute best. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, because they're also flawed human beings coming in with their own wounds and their own inner child. And that's coming up, especially in the parent-child relationship, right? Yeah. Like the biggest trigger to your parents' child wounds are gonna be you. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like um, <laughs> so it's like it's uh it's, it's finding those wounded parts of yourself and I think when it's unconscious when it's not when it's not um, when you're not maneuvering it with awareness with conscious awareness the inner child rules okay so your inner child is like making your decisions for you with the emotional maturity of a child yeah do you know and um, that has and, and oftentimes when that's happening it's happening in such a way that at some point there's a survival technique Mm-hmm. At some point in your emotional development growing up, you have learned a strategy that kept you emotionally safe in your childhood. Mm-hmm. And, and now you're bringing that into adult relationships and it doesn't fucking work. Yeah. Right? And you're coming into clash with somebody else's like inner child and somebody else's stuff. So you're, we're all holding on to these, uh, these experiences and it, bec- it becomes a temperament, it becomes our personality and we hold on to it. And then we're wondering why we're all kind of, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, like it, it doesn't, it has no place in an adult relationship. That doesn't mean that your inner child doesn't have a place because it's part of you, it's part of who you are. But when you start to step up as the empowered adult within yourself and you start to ho- actually hold space for your inner child, it's like when you're emotionally triggered and there's that part of you that's like, yeah, like it's like whatever it is, like I'm gonna, like whether it's vengeful or whether it's avoidant or whether it's, um manipulative or whether it's whatever like this is a fan what about me like this very that child like the part like and again it's the part of ourselves that when it shows up negatively you know like we're all good to like go and be the fun inner child that's like playing and dancing and clubbing or whatever and getting drunk like alcohol brings out our inner child often i think Mm. it's also why alcohol sometimes brings out our wound Mm, (laughs) you know (laughs) that makes so much sense so I think like, you know, we're often ashamed of these parts of ourselves. We don't want to admit to them, particularly the like the inner, the stuff that goes on inner that we might not ever like vocalize when we feel like things are unfair. Why is it always me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually just getting it out of your body can really be useful, mm. you know, being able to hold space for that emotional process. Cry when you need to cry. It's like we've made crying into this like stigmatized, weird thing that has a meaning like beyond what it is when it's actually like, it's not even just emotional. It's a physiological experience. It is your body's way of resetting your central nervous system. Crying is important on a central nervous system on a hormonal level to letting go of emotional distress, Mm. do you know? 
And so when we don't do that, our body's not regulating, you know? That makes sense. Yeah, so it's like a lot of a lot of these things. Yeah, a lot of these things. It's like finding and also being able to creativity, you know, like creativity is often flowing from your inner child or your inner feminine in a lot of ways. Right. And when we're materializing it and we're making something from it in like a structured kind of way, that's like pulling from our inner masculine. I like that. Um, so three years ago, you you started with uh, with this whole experience. Like, what what are some specific things that you know that you were doing for yourself to get on this path that you're here now? I feel like the first step, um, the first step was like the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> the first step. The first step, and it sucks. That's a song. It sucks because it, it shouldn't be. Yeah, let's do that studio. <laughs> Um, it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be that way it's very it's still to this day I'm still as a coach as well like trying to figure out how do I like you know how do I make this first step easier for people because you're starting at the beginning and it shouldn't it should get harder as you go along and you get better (laughs) at it surely like why is the first bit so hard but for me anyway the first the first bit was definitely the hardest which was the sobering look in the mirror letting go of the idealized version of myself and that came with a big shame spiral. It's like, oh, I've got to look at all these horrible things about myself that I just would rather pretend don't exist. Mm. Like, I'd rather, really rather not. <laughs> I'd really rather not. And also within that, you know, within that, that, that honesty with self um, comes accountability. So once you look at it, that's really on me. No, I've brought it to conscious awareness now. Now I've got to do something about it. Or I'm just actually just going to be an asshole. <laughs> like consciously an asshole. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and with that comes the accountability for everything that's ever happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> everything that's happening right now in my life and like all of the stuff that's gone on and, you know, anything painful in my past or even done to me you know by other people it's like now I'm responsible for all of it you know even 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 when it's like abuse you know and it's like you know I've had experiences that are of abuse and I'm not saying that my abusers that their behavior is excusable or that I deserve that or that I asked for that but the ramifications of it are still mine Mm, it's mine now yeah yeah it's up to me what I do with it whether I asked for it or not is actually like really quite irrelevant. Obviously, like in an ideal situation, I wouldn't have had those experiences, but I did, and now it's mine. So now you're accountable. So now, now it's my responsibility what right. I do with it. Okay. And I can stay in being a victim of what happened to me, or I can take accountability for healing it and doing the work. Like, which one serves me better at the end of the day? Is it fair? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily fair. The world isn't, personal development isn't. That's hard to hear for some people. Right. For a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. I think as well, it's like, obviously, when we come into these very difficult topics, um, you're dealing with people's triggers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have heard the word abuse and already like, I'm not talking to their empowered adult anymore. I'm talking to their inner child. I'm Uh talking to their wound. I'm talking to them in in a triggered state. So I think that's where it's important to be mindful. you know, I'm mindful of like what it is that you're dealing with and what your expectations are when you're dealing with it. And I think that from that place of being triggered, people don't hear the words anymore. Uh, they're like, 
you know, they've blocked you off already. Yeah, so. it's like they're hearing something else and they're particularly in, particularly in areas of abuse and, and for women in particular, I think, you know, we're already societally held to this. Um, what was she wearing? What was she blah, 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 blah. You mm. know, like, how did you ask for it? How did you, whatever. Uh, that's very dangerous um, at an institutional level, level and, and legally. But societal issues aside, on a personal level, you know, does it excuse your abuser? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that you that you could have done something differently to avoid it? Possibly not. That was just like the way that it happened for you in your life, and it's bullshit and it's unfair. And like, I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't happen for you. You know, I wish that didn't happen to you. I wish that wasn't done to you. Are you responsible for what was done to you? No. But the aftermath of it what you carry coming out of it is now yours. It's a shit fucking yeah. dump landed on your doorstep, you know? What are you like going to do? A, yeah. You know, it's it's not somebody's just offloaded something into your house that you didn't ask for, need, want, or mm. have to deal with. But now you do. Now it's yours. So, like, what do you do if somebody makes a mess in your house and disappears afterwards? You to either live in a mess or you clean it up. Yeah, don't complain about it. Say you're a victim. Oh my God, look at this mess. Every day you keep looking at this this dump and you're like, oh my God, complaining about it? Or are you going to take Clean some responsibility? Up. And it takes work and it yeah. takes time and it's not easy. And like a lot of it, particularly when it's like, you know, and, and, I, and I think this goes beyond abuse. It also goes into just like childhood stuff. Like any childhood stuff, extreme or not. Mm. Like also like I didn't ask for it. Any wounds that you carry from your parents is unfair. I didn't ask to be here. You had me, and then you messed me up. <laughs> what the hell? Like, <laughs> that's not fair. Yeah, yeah. But it's also just, again, you know, uh, I was having a conversation with my mom actually like a couple of days ago, and I was talking about motivation. I was talking about struggles that I'm having at the moment with motivation in terms of work because I've always relied on like this really harsh inner critic to succeed in life. I'd say like almost any accomplishment that I have like prior to the last year or two has been through me beating the hell out of myself. If you don't do it, you're a loser. If you did it, uh, uh, uh. like beating it, beating it. You know, when I was training, if I was tired, overtired, da, 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 I'd sit in the mirror, I'd take my clothes off, I'd stand in the mirror, and I'd criticize, every, and I'd look at every single part of myself, and it's like, yeah, now do you want to go to the gym? Let's go. Do you know, everything that I've ever done has been through like beating myself up. It's not in alignment with like the place I'm at in my life anymore. Yeah. So now I'm having to find a new energy source. And anyway, I was having this conversation with my mom. I was telling her this process that I'm going through. We have a very close relationship. And she was like, oh, babe, like, it's so horrible, mm. you know? But she was like, did I do that? Like, did I do that to you? Oh, man. Do you know, like, did, did I teach you that? That's like, that's really, I'm so sorry that you, that's your experience. I, I hate, you know, I hate to think that. And I, I'm, yeah, did I do that to you? And I was like, you know, mom, some of these things is clear and you know, like, where they started. And some of these things, they're not clear. They don't know where they started. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But mm -hmm. either way, I'm 28. It's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was like, it is yours now. Yeah. And it's that. Like, at the end of the day, whether it's fair or not, or, like, where it came from, mm -hmm. what it, even if we can identify exactly where it started or how it happened or whatever, 
sometimes it's not like one catalytic thing. I look at my life and I look at my life in terms of trauma and things that I've had to heal and stuff and addiction and the rest of it. And I can tell like these big catalytic moments of addiction and health pressures, health pressures, health pressures, health pressures, which have always played a pivotal role in the, the catalytic moments of my life. I can go through traumatic past events from my childhood, teenage years, stuff that I don't want to go into that I don't talk about publicly. And reel them all off or whatever. But when I look at my healing journey, it was no like big catalyst. It was no like big moment of like, this is the trauma of my life. And this is the healing of my life. It's like spread out in loads of little bits mm. and loads of little streams and loads of, it's not one big massive event. It's lots of things that flow together, Spider tie together, come together. Yeah. Exactly, do you know? And that's the complexity of like being a human being, um, and and when you're when you're going into deep healing work, like it's a lot of unpicking and unpacking that you're doing in this process, and it's not always so clear cut. Sometimes the traumatic event isn't the trauma; it's how it was dealt with, mm. how it was. Do you know? Sometimes it's not. You know. Not handled properly. Necessarily, like if you look at things often, you know, particularly tragic, you know, tragedies in families, like where there's been a loss of siblings, loss of a, a child in the family who's died, and you're dealing with wounds from that in the sibling, now adult sibling. It's not necessarily the death of their sibling that was the most traumatic, it's their parents, the chaos that they were living in afterwards when their parents were grieving the loss of a child. Right. Do you know? Yeah. That's actually like the deeper. Wow. trauma wound in that person you know? yeah yeah that's um, so even when something's obviously catalytic it's not necessarily the wound right do you know and so that's why it's complicated we're complicated right it's like it's not so. the wound it's the uh it's the uh, the way it starts to heal or the way it's there it's, is it is it getting infected is it is it getting worse? Are you treating it properly? And that's what's making worse. Are you worse. treating it at all? Yeah, you're treating it all. You could have like a tiny little scratch, right? But then it, it gets bacteria in it. It gets all these things. So it could be a scratch on the surface that's bleeding <laughs> out internally, you know, like it's a... Uh, right, yeah. no matter how small. I mean, the trauma could be small, right? The event could be small, but... The thing is as well is like, this is like trauma's trauma. Trauma is, is, is anything that threatens our map of the world. And our place within it. Mm, okay. So, okay. So trauma for one person can be stereotypical trauma. Do you know what I mean? Having parents that are drug addicts, sexual abuse as a child, or blah, 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 whatever. Like, there's obvious things in trauma. Somebody else's trauma might be their favorite pony being sold. Like, you know, they're from a super rich family, and one day they go feed their horse, and their horse isn't there. Right. It can be a traumatic event. And I think this is something that you know, societally. Yeah, societally, it's like we're always going like, somebody that's got it worse. We live in like this, we live in a society that guilt trips us on that all the time. And where there is comparison, particularly in the West, like, you know, we're we're massively lucky and privileged, particularly when you go into social politics, you know, and and looking at racial privilege or gender privilege or hetero privilege, like we're all, but like we can all be both. Mm-hmm. it's not necessarily one or the other and it doesn't mean that your pain is less valid because somebody else has a pain that's objectively mm. like more difficult do you know what i mean because right. it isn't to you because your pain is subject to your life right 
<laughs> it's proportionate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So realistically, something that could be, you know, somebody can go through a monumental trauma, losing a limb, mm-hmm. and be less traumatized than somebody else that's had their parents get divorced. Right. Because of the way that they've dealt with it, or because of the resources they, they had that were provided to them, or for whatever else going through, it's always relative. Yeah, I think someone might say, well, you know, look at this person, look how bad they're having it. And, you know, you shouldn't, you should be grateful for what you have, but they're dismissing their their trauma, they're dismissing what they're going through and not putting any, um, not value, value on it, that the fact that it, it is hurting for them and it, it is causing this kind of... Precisely, issue. and I think, I think that um, we can only give to others as much as we give to ourselves, you know what I mean? Like our relationships are absolutely a perfect reflection of like the relationships we have with ourselves, you know? And that's why I, what I would technically, I'd be a relationship coach. I work with intimacy, communication, and like looking at how do we build these things in our lives to have healthier relationships. But I'm still a personal coach because at the end of the day, all of that begins in the relationship that you have with yourself. And, you know, you ask me, what's the first step going into personal development? The first step is this honest, like, look in the mirror. The second step has to be a self-compassion practice. Self-compassion? Self-compassion practice. What does that look like? Um, and it's begin- it starts changing, like, your uh-huh. inner man's uh-huh. monologue. Gotcha. The way that you're meeting yourself in pain. The way that you're meeting yourself in your moments of suffering. In your moments of vulnerability. You know, how you're dealing with self-judgment and where you're going from that. And self-compassion practice is very, very fundamental to overcoming the wounds. Um, and it is not something that is taught to us. And it's not something that is prevalent in today's society. And and with that, I want to be super clear, self-compassion practice isn't a self-enabling practice. Okay. It's a very different thing. What's the difference? So a self-enabling practice is like vic- victimizing yourself. Oh, okay. me right here. I can't do anything about it. You know, self-compassion practice is meeting yourself with love, but still being boundaries with yourself. You know, it's like a lot of this, when I say like reparenting, I mean it. Like you're reparenting. Mm. You're teaching yourself tools to, to function better as, a, as an adult emotionally, as a healthier emotional adult. Um, and, and just as with a child, children need boundaries for safety. We need to be boundaries with ourselves. We need to have like a level of perfect discipline, expectations, holding ourselves accountable, being that honesty bit at the beginning, that's like throughout. <laughs> so it has to stay being like, it's the first thing you learn because you're going to need it through the whole process. Um, but this self-compassion practice, like I say, is very fundamental, I think, to our ability to heal. Um, and I think that it isn't taught and it isn't prevalent in today's society. And so we're not compassionate with one another either. Because it's mm. a reflection of like where we're at with ourselves. Yeah. You know, so often like our re- reaction to our own pain is kind of like, oh, we'll get over it. And like when we say to, when we say, even when we say it like in, in a well-intended way, we're like, oh, like, you know, it's always, it's always a bright side, you know, like, when we say these things, it's really a way of avoiding somebody else's pain that's uncomfortable to us because our pain is uncomfortable to mm-hmm. us. We can't acknowledge it in ourselves. We definitely can't meet somebody else in theirs. Oftentimes when somebody's in pain, like the most helpful thing you can do is just be with them where they are. Right, support them. Um, 
and I think particularly, I think, you know, I'm going to start to look at masculine and feminine energy as well. Uh, and I mean that in, in terms of energetically, energy flow. We all carry masculine and feminine energy within us. It's not about men or women um, in, in our gender like, construct of, in this society. Um, but we do live in an, a hyper-masculine society, a hyper-masculine world. And when it comes to things like that, I think often, you know, the, the masculine is like, let's fix it, let's sort it out. You know, we're often coming very much from that energy mm -hmm. in our society when it comes to like our emotions and things like that. Sometimes it's like, you know, you just need to sit back and, and be, um, be with somebody where they are. Okay. And, and that's so much more comfortable. <laughs> than somebody trying to fix something that ultimately like we all have to do for ourselves yeah. you know back to that conversation i had with my mom when i was saying to you like, yeah and being real like, like your mom seems super real and honest yeah. and she's not saying well it wasn't my fault that this happened to you da, 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 da. i did i did what yeah. i could over the time and i guess that's how most parents would handle that conversation with their kid if they came up to them they'd be like no well you don't understand my point of view once once you're a mom like me you're gonna see how hard yeah. it is but she was real about it. she was like well, it wasn't me yeah. and, and you were also amazing as well you're like no it's it happened it's 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 here let's do it let's deal yeah. with it now yeah 100 percent. i think i think that's you know one of the, the beautiful like graces of my life and, and gifts of my mom is one of the beautiful gifts of my life um but particularly like the the relationship that we have and and the communication that we have and i think i kind of have it a little bit from both sides i have the absolute complete polar opposite relationship when it comes to, to his <laughs> uh, communication with my, my dad. Um, and so I think I have like this, I guess this gift, particularly in terms of my own work of like, how do we navigate communication and healing and relationships with other people and our wounds are related to other people and they're open to do that work with us, which I have with my mom, I think is incredible. Mm -hmm. And how do we do it for ourselves and get our own closure and get do our own healing when we cannot get it from somebody else? Right. You know? And the conversations that I have with my mom, bearing in mind that we both are professionals in personal development, mm. you know, we have an extensive toolkit, especially when we can join together. <laughs> uh, and even still, we both get triggered, right. snap at each other, we both fuck up sometimes, it's we're not always nice to each other, yeah. but we're still human beings. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like, even if the catalytic thing, you know, like even if we are, have an argument and we fall out and we have this big catalytic event, the aftermath is like what really matters, right? And we yeah. have those conversations and we talk about them. I like that. Like people are, people might be upset and say, well, I can't believe we're fighting when you had this fight. And it's like, no, well, how did you, how did you re respond to it after you had a fight? Did you to say, you know, we're not going to speak to each other anymore. Or did you say, uh, you know, I hate you and all these things and I, I, I can't look at you the same way. Did you say, hey, let's, we had this event. Let's look at it. Why did it erupt? Why did it come out? What's the underlying issue? And again, these things become easier when we have our self-compassion practice mm -hmm. because then we can be compassionate, number one, with ourselves. Of saying, oh, like I didn't, I wasn't my best in that right. argument. <laughs> I didn't do my best. But I'm not shame spiraling, and if I'm not shame spiraling, I'm not going into ego, and I'm not deflecting, projecting, going, "This is up to you. You made me this. Like, it's your fault." Yeah. You know, it's like this accountability and self-compassion in this. And when you have that as a practice for yourself, you can also go, 
they weren't their best yeah. in that situation. But that's, you know, sometimes that happens. It's a work in progress. You know? And it's, I think, like, I think for me, sort of, again, full circle, coming back to the spirituality, which is actually, like, where this conversation began, um, on a spiritual level, I feel very much that it is important to remember that we are actually on a human journey. And I see a lot of people moving into personal development and spirituality and, like, seeking enlightenment, seeking this ah, moment, you mm -hmm. know, where it's like it all clicks. And now I am empowered, enlightened, da da da. So it's a it's a journey, not a destination. And it's not a destination. If it if it was a destination, it's not one we're ever gonna reach <laughs> on this plane of existence. Yeah. And if you really, you know, if you do believe in 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 souls and spirit in um or even even in light, like past lives, present lives, future lives, you know, this this soul journey that we're on. For whatever reason, your journey right now, your soul journey right now is, is a human one. So I think allowing yourself some grace mm -hmm. to also just be a flawed human being, even in the process of finding, you know, becoming more spiritually attuned or working on yourself and your personal development or whatever else. Like I can sit here and I can talk about all these processes and things and how I deal with triggers and all the rest right. of it. And I still perfectly capable of being an arsehole sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know, like, and and that's okay. Yeah, it's okay, definitely. It's okay, do you know. Particularly um, when we're looking at our close personal relationships and the two hardest relationships in in that sense are going to be parent relationships, our relationship with our parents, and our relationships with our, like, mm -hmm. our romantic relationships. Um, because there's a different, there's a deep, deep intimacy in these relationships. Also... The shit that happened in the childhood relationship with your parent and the wounds that you picked up there are going to show up in your romantic one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they mirror each other as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's going to show up. It's going to. So how do we then, you know, create the space of intimacy, the space? Um, intimacy is a funny thing because vulnerability is fundamental to intimacy and okay. intimacy and and vulnerability is inherently unsafe yeah but the other thing that's fundamental to intimacy is safety uh. <laughs> so so really it's about how how do we create a safe space to be unsafe in you know okay. how do we cultivate this in our relationship where it's a, like you know i can i can go i can be raw and wrong and messy and everything else that comes with being vulnerable, authentically vulnerable uh, with another person. How do we cultivate a, a safety in our relationship where that can happen for both of us and we can hold space for, for one another and also hold accountability to ourselves in it? Okay. You know? What do you think of that? Like trust or what are I some think, I think that I think that fundamentally or when we're looking at conscious relationships, like your relationships again are always going to be a reflection of like where you are in your relationship with yourself you know mm. like, and same circle over and over yeah, again yeah. so one of the one of the first and foremost things that we can do to cultivate conscious healthy relationships with other people is is to cultivate one with ourselves okay. internally um and then it's a tool it's a toolkit it's a toolkit and it's sometimes it's going to be trial and error sometimes it's going to be figuring it out the hard way do you know um i think 
that communication is fundamental and that's something that you can really build as a keeper you know and there's, there's a lot i do a lot of workshops on communication for that reason because it, it's it is very fundamental to creating that safe space to be unsafe in when we can communicate effectively um and be truthful with, with where we are and like with our partners and i think also having like clear like boundaries, boundaries i do yeah. a lot of boundary work as a lot of workshops on boundaries um and expectations do you know like ultimately at the end of the day like i can have an expectation that my partner is going to allow me to be vulnerable and unsafe and sometimes get it wrong and sometimes da -da 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 and all the rest of it and you know be with me and holding space for my wounded child or my whatever else that crops up in our relationship and be with me in it but I can't expect them to do it for me still. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Your mom's words coming out of you. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's, it's, I think, you know, I think sometimes in relationships there is, maybe not consciously, but there's an expectation this person's going to come along and fix. Save you. Save you, fix it. you, change you. Or that you're going to validate yourself through fixing, healing, and saving them. You yeah. know, like that's the... The, the codependent, I could do a whole podcast on codependency <laughs> all on its own because um, it's a big one and I think one that we tread with in a, in a way that personally I think is often misguided. So what's the future for you? Like what uh, what, what projects are you... The future for me. The future. So I'm, I'm at like a really exciting point right now. Um, ah, long version, short version, come on cash. How do we condense things? I could just talk forever. <laughs> no, just like, keep talking. Let's yeah. go. So I'm at a really exciting point. Like I say, I've been on this, again, this this big journey, like three years of like personal development. And part of that, I kind of like took the step back from coaching because I figured out I wanted to do the that stuff, right? Over there, the dark, the heavy, the whatever. But I'm going through my own healing process and I just didn't feel like I was equipped to hold space the way that I need to for other people. Um, so I took this step back from my coaching. I've really been focusing on my artwork, which is like, you know, <laughs> like trauma for art is perfect like this is amazing uh so i've been like a lot more yeah as i'm going through this emotional process pouring that into my artistic it's work amazing. and the best artists are the ones that oh, it's, it's great <laughs> like you know like it, it's there's no two ways about it it's both like I, I write poetry and i i create like visual visual art and um i the best works always happens when i'm miserable <laughs> uh, i mean i'm happy it all dries up uh, so I better get my coaching, <laughs> my coaching stuff up, up and running before I run out of misery to pour into my artwork. Um, but it, it's yeah, it's now I this trip actually like this moving to Mexico um, was like this huge. I I wrote about this on Instagram today. It's been this huge process for me, of like okay, you've done three years of intensive healing. Like I have, I've clocked hours and hours of therapy and coaching and shamanic journeying and ritual and meditation and prayer and uh, like I've been going in and doing it in this like safe incubator of going back to my childhood home and being held by my community I come from come from like a traveler community like hippie community um that I'm very held and supported by and you know being held by my mom both like uh, emotionally but also in terms of you know when I was sick she was really helping me practically in terms of like cooking and stuff like that that I just couldn't really do for myself um, I've been on like this journey in this safe incubator and 
uh, it was time to like kind of put it all to a test and go back into like real life. Like if I'm in real life, does it still stand? What what happens when I'm triggered? You know, like I've I've done it all in therapy, mm-hmm. like and I've talked about it for ages. Real you know, world. Now. What happens now? Like if I'm triggered, what happens if I'm scared? What happens if I'm challenged? What happens, God? What happens if I fall in love or you know, if I whatever, like when like when you're really faced in the real world with like all the things that threaten, you know, like it's it's super easy to be uh healthy within yourself like if you do all this work to be healthy within yourself behind a fortress of like solitude <laughs> with, with no intimate connections yeah. like to trigger uh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was like right i need to go out and like kind of find myself in the world as this new have i like actually integrated all this work and like i said earlier i'm a i'm a, I'm a walk the walk not talk the talk type of person this move to mexico was very integral to me starting up my coaching practice again and and like actually seeing myself like I couldn't show up in my coaching practice until I knew I was showing up in my life right um and so I've I've kind of get I'm at the point now where like I feel like I'm ready which is terrifyingly exciting (laughs) like it's 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 really cool and it's it's like um yeah it just feels again like these full circles that go around like it was uh i was thinking about this earlier today earlier and when i was five i was learning to swim and i was by the pool with my mom and i said mom i'm gonna jump in the deep end Mm. if i drown you get me out if i don't then we know i can swim (laughs) right (laughs) this is what you said yeah okay uh, it's like five, like I probably said it in much more broken English, but like, yeah. And my mom was like, okay. <laughs> she was like standing on the edge of the pool. I jumped in, I swam. And like, that's how I learned to swim. Um, and this like move to Mexico was that. It's like, I'm going to jump in the deep end. I've moved like across the world in the middle of a global pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm going to jump in the deep end and we'll see if I can swim, swim yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm here swimming, I'm swimming. How's your journey here in Tulum? How, how's your experience been? It's been super like magical, like very intense. Oh, yeah. No, I feel like I've been through, oh, <laughs> I've been through a lot of shifts in the time that I've, you know, the short time I've been here for three months now and it feels, I do feel like energetically this is a super powerful place mm-hmm. um, and everything's kind of like the volume's turned up and super, like half, everything happens faster here, do you know? Right. Especially if you're like willing to meet it. Like I feel like if you come to Tulum, particularly like I came away very much looking for this spiritual personal journey. Um, there was a lot of intention in, in this trip for my like development and my growth and if you're ready to meet it like it's it will fast track you i think when you're traveling anyway particularly like here in this environment uh if you're going to resist it i feel like you won't last long <laughs> <laughs> yeah they'll chew um, you up and spit you out spit you out or you just end up lost here in like a i don't know <laughs> like one one trip too many um there's a couple of those floating around here too 
but it's you know it, it, it's been a, a really intense it's been a really intense journey like so much uh physically as much physically as it has been emotionally and spiritually for me um but yeah i'm uh i've had like some towards the beginning of my trip some pretty unpleasant health stuff going on but we got through it uh and i'm like again like God, I'm no stranger to health problems at this point yeah. in my life. And I really trust, I really trust my body. I really trust the process. And I think sometimes what we think is illness is healing, mm. you know, like, um, and I definitely felt that about this whole process. I feel like it was, a, I was going through some kind of healing process, undoing, letting go. I don't know. Right. Um, I felt very like rejuvenated. <laughs> coming out of it and then went through like quite a deep like both emotional and spiritual kind of kind of shift and you know as intended I've had plenty of opportunities to find myself challenged and triggered and you know and and start again like can't continue working and cultivating this relationship with myself outside of the safety of my comfort zone right and it's like I feel like I'm watching myself and being very self-observant as how I'm meeting life um, and cultivating trust with myself as I start to see, you know, like, okay, so we went through this in therapy and we did this and we know how it happens and we know why it happens and we know what we can do differently and what the toolbox has, like, now we know what's in our toolbox now. But the fear, even when you do that work, at least for me, the fear is, Okay, this is all well and good until mm -hmm. until you're faced with a trigger for that wound and now suddenly you're gonna fall back into you're just gonna lose your way and you're gonna fall back into what you've always done, you know. And I think since being here, one of the really magical things has been watching myself react to the world as like this completely different version of myself, you know, and and uh, and with that comes this this trust that I'm building with myself, you know, this you know, especially after a life of a lot of self-betrayal, um, you know, I'm, I'm building now this, these deep, deep levels of trust with myself. And man, it's like, it's a beautiful place to do it. Like I'm having a little honeymoon with myself. Like we're, falling, <laughs> we're falling in love. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're, you know, living it, living it up. And uh, yeah, and, and out of that, you know, is, is this, is this now like, right time to start my coaching practice back up like mm. okay i got it i got this nice. and it feels like the next phase it feels like um it feels important it feels like i've been on this uh internal journey you know like i've, like I've been doing this i've been traveling a lot the last three years just inward <laughs> <laughs> um i've been you know i feel like i have held my inner child and been down into my core and seen the darkest ugliest parts of myself and you know come into contact with bits of myself that I discarded and you know even creatively and I have been reconnecting relearning reparenting romancing even exploring playing like doing all of this been on this journey with myself and now it feels like it is like an important part of that process to take it, you know, to take it out into the, the real world. Also feels like I'm like 
like sitting on like it's be really selfish <laughs> not to at this point because it's been so transformative and I'm really at a place in my life like in a place in my relationship with myself and in terms of just like the way that I feel on a day-to-day I never thought I like I never thought I would be here I never thought I could let alone that I would like genuinely you know like I'm 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 always been I think maybe a little predisposed to a little bit being a little bit miserable you know mm. whether it's like mental health or whether it's like you know just the, the the way that I the way that my life went or the way that I came into this world you know like whatever I carried with me in in here but I just there was so much prior to to this process where it was like okay I can learn how to function having it like health in healthier ways and not make it worse for myself if I'm already like in this kind of like slightly miserable existence like I can at least do myself a favor of not making it worse do you know mm-hmm. what I mean but I I think there was like a, a big part of me that had like an acceptance of like that's just who I am do you know like I'm just always gonna be like I have obviously have nice experiences have moments of happiness but it's almost like my base level is kind of like mm. do you know and that's just who I was it wasn't <laughs> it actually wasn't you know and I have like such a different I mean again like I could talk forever we could go into like a whole different podcast I have like a very different relationship even with the more challenging uh emotions right like sadness or mm. melancholy or nostalgia or whatever or whatever like anger do you know and I feel like now I don't even experience them as like necessarily bad Mm. it's just another it's information like feedback it's all feedback so like particularly like if i'm sad i actually take quite like this makes me sound like a widow but i actually take quite like a quite a lot of enjoyment in being sad at this point in my life it's like oh i'm feeling sad today let's flow into this it's like moon energy you know like and i really try and drop into my feminine in that space i'll often write or i'll draw whatever and it's like oh i'm i'm able to be self-indulgent in my sadness in a way that isn't toxic or like it's not like victim stuff like woe me but it's like let's really feel it like let's Let's really like really channel it and go into this and create something out of it and really like you know sometimes you just want to like like sometimes it's it's okay to just like again like this inner child work sometimes you need to like be your inner teenager like the mm. one that's like locked in their room listening to linkin park <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, I was at park. <laughs> <laughs> i'd work out to linkin park in my, right. in my bedroom, yeah. yeah i feel like t- like i feel like linkin park's like the, the epitome <laughs> of teenage angst you know like uh being misunderstood and whatever else. Like, yeah. <laughs> and angry yeah but sometimes like again i think part of that is that is like can you like lean into those those emotions and and i think they become negative when the self-judgment's attached to them, do you know? Okay. Um, and, like, for sure, for sure, like, some emotions are less comfortable than others. Discomfort's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it is information. Like, if this isn't working for you, you're going to feel a type of way, and that's going to let you know that it's not working for you. Right. Do you, you feel that maybe we're, like, for you, for example, feel addicted to certain emotions or 
your your time too. Or I think I was. You was. Yeah, I think I was for sure, for sure. Like I said before, like I would definitely class myself as a resourceful addict, and it's like that's why, like I went, I was, you know, coming out of when I was abusing substances, I was completely sober for a period of time, and then I changed my relationship with substances. Like I'm not mm. sober anymore. I don't drink a lot, you know. Um, but I can drink without it taking, you know, the same with drugs, you know, I can use recreationally without it running away with me and becoming like, because I don't look for what I was looking for in drugs anymore, okay. in alcohol anymore. I know that's not everybody's experience right. with addiction, you know, but that was my addiction. That was my experience with addiction because ultimately like they were the tool, not the addiction. That makes sense. Mm, it's like okay. obviously like about this self-destruct like path that I was on and and there was you know a way of of like beating myself up harming myself or just avoiding do you know obviously like drugs are a great way of not looking at your stuff because yeah. you have a lot of time you know avoiding your misery avoiding those uncomfortable emotions that are, are your signal to um do something different Right? Okay. It's like you just pour drugs on it and now like I'm avoiding it a different way without having to do the difficult work. So mm. I feel like I've also had that like in relationships. I've had, you know, uh, some really horrible relationships and some, you know, just messy ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, co codependent ones or whatever. I've, I've had a lot of lessons. I like what you said um, before, um, not in the podcast before, you were talking about how when you meet someone, you can already see the red flags and yeah. you know how to navigate through the red flags. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like that's, you know, being a relationship coach, like and and also like I think within that as well, being mindful to also just live as as a person. <laughs> not always a coach, not always analyzing, not always looking. Not stepping into coach mode in your friendships or your romantic relationships, super important, especially for recovering codependent. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, I think that again, it's like this, this relationship with self, it always comes back to this relationship with self, like whatever it is, whether it's in your romantic relationships, whether it's in your job, whether it's like, if, if, if there's one thing to come out of this podcast, like two hours already of talking, <laughs> um, the most important thing is like whatever the fuck it is that isn't working for you, whatever it is that you're stuck in right now that's like not serving you anymore, like come in and work on that relationship that you have with yourself and everything out on the outside's a reflection, do you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. there's, there's such an unlimitedly more, like <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's not, that's not a sentence. <laughs> it, you will be so much more well served when you reflect, self-reflect in terms of your reaction to other people rather than project. I like that. You know, and, and I think that like the life is continuously like the world, the outside world is your mirror mm -hmm. and it is a direct reflection of what's going on, on in your internal world and life and the universe is going to give you an unlimited number of opportunities to live out your soul's purpose to learn the lessons that you're here on earth to learn and to be authentically truly who you're who you really are 
I love know? that. That's amazing. Uh, and that's going to show up in, in, in people in the form of, of different people, different connections, different friendships, different conversations, different situations that crop up in your life and how we react to them, right? Um, and I think that, yeah, so for, for me in terms of like romantic relationships or when I look at red flags and when I look at, um, you know, I think again in in that language there's like a negative spin on on a red flag right like this is like what's wrong with this person mm -hmm. it's not really like that for me so like i think that as i've become more honest with myself um and have this well let me use it <laughs> have this practice um within myself um it comes out in 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 my day-to-day -day life and in, in the sense of like I'm much more able to take people for who they are mm -hmm. and where they are now because I'm not projecting on them and I'm not relying on them to represent something for me that I need fixed. Because when I need something fixed, I, hope I come in and I make sure I do that for myself. You know, I provide right. for myself first and foremost always. Um, and I move with self-awareness of like, you know, when that comes into my personal relationships. So when I'm looking at somebody honestly for who they are and where they are, um, a red flag for me might not necessarily be like, it's not a bad thing. It's just that they are where they are and does that work with where I am mm -hmm. right. and who I am, do you know? particularly in terms of a romantic relationship and i'm i'm a really strong believer as well like i you know there's people out there that are very much like always looking for the the marriage relationship right it's mm -hmm. like i'm dating and it's okay to date with the intention of like okay i want something serious and real at some point like I, that's nothing wrong with that but if you're like discarding any connection that's not that you're like point. missing out on yeah, so yeah. much man that's like a great point, yeah, yeah like and and so I think one of the most beautiful things for me in terms of romantic relations of taking people for who they are and where they are is I might be able to identify quite early on like where I see is this like gonna gonna work in terms of like a marriage commitment and when I say when I say that I don't necessarily mean a literal marriage but I mean like a, a committed long-term relationship um maybe not but maybe it's going to serve a completely different purpose in my life, you know? And I think some of the most beautiful and transformative relationships and, you know, romantic or sexual relationships that I've had have been fleeting, but no less important. Right. Some of them even like in a lot of ways more nourishing than the marriage relationships that I've had. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Know? Yeah, yeah, it's more maybe a shorter relationship could have been like an intense relationship that... Yeah. that yeah. And it's non-attachment as well, right? Like being able to take somebody for who they are, where they are, and let like the connection flow as it flows, mm -hmm. rather than like you go in with like, I'm looking for this relationship with this person. And like, you kind of look the parts, I'm gonna fit you in this box <laughs> and force it. And it's like some connections are also just like, some connections are meant to be short-lived. Some connections also like come and go, Right. Do you know? Like yeah, yeah, that's how we've been. We meet someone like, and then they come in now. And it's like that coming and going ones definitely will be lost when you go. Oh, well, there's still like a connection here, so let's get together. But it's a relationship with like between two people that aren't really meant to be together, right. and it ends badly. Do you know? 
maybe that's why also relationships, there's so many um, divorces and our mismatches in relationships because now we have with technology also, you know, you meet someone and now you have access to them no matter where in the world they are, which is also a good thing, mm. but in a sense that you don't have that that um, the opportunity to just lose someone and just en enjoy them for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Enjoy mm. them for the time that they're in your life and just like mm. let them go. You have this attachment to like, oh no, even when you break up with someone, even you can say, well, I, I can still call them, I can still follow mm. them on social media and you stalk them, you cyber follow them and mm -hmm. yeah, we can't just like say, okay, well, it was great. Yeah. You're not good for me anymore. Let me move on or not good for me anymore. But it's just, it's, yeah. I, I've changed, I've but moved it's, on. It's, it is. It can be not good for you. And I think as well, it's like, again, this first step, man, it's accountability. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's the first step and, and it's a pain in the ass because now you've got to do it everywhere all the time. Um, but it, it, it is, somebody cannot be right for you. But that's your problem. Mm -hmm. Do you know? So it's like, it's not necessarily, it's obviously, I'm not talking about like the extremes. I'm not talking about the extremes when you're talking domestic abuse and things like mm. this. This is a different conversation where you're dealing with, you know, uh, complex emotional stuff that's showing up in, in a in a unacceptable way, mm -hmm. violent ways that, of course, are threatening to to one's physical safety and life. Um, I'm talking in like the you know ebbs and flows yeah, of relationships yeah. that we're all going to experience in our life. Um, Within that, it's like, you know, I feel like I look back at my past relationships and like, wow, the time that I wasted blaming somebody else for not being who I wanted them to be. Right. And the whole time staying in that relationship. Like, whose fault is that? Yours. Sorry. <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's, the, it's, it's again, it's this accountability. It's this like... I think it's super common that people fall in love with somebody's potential. God knows I've been there before. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, like one day it's gonna be da 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 da. I'm gonna flip the like script on that story. And I think, you know, one of the most tragic things about that is this other person that's in a relationship with you that's never fucking good enough. Uh, you know, this person deserves to be loved for who they are where they are in their fullness by somebody and if you can't do it move out the way yeah did you know you're looking at like this this idealized version of them and you're not you're not being there for who they are right now right and it's like that like you know it's it's when you're in that situation and you're in that relationship and you're in that like you know you're in the narrative of like I'm gonna fix them, I'm gonna save them, I'm gonna do it, and one mm -hmm. day, and one day, and one day, and one day, and one day, and it's like, I think, I think that often people in that role can be very, like, virtuous about it, you know, like I'm, like, the hero coming in. Right. Fixing them to what, your standards? Yeah. <laughs> it's not your job, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, it's that same thing, like, it, that person ultimately deserves to be loved for who they are, where they are, in their fullness. Agreed. And if you're not able to do that, let someone else do it. Move out the way. Yeah. Stop you know? uh, hogging. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good. Stop I like that. Place. So I just think that whenever, like, that's why I said I could do a whole other podcast on codependency. Because again, do it. it's Let's like, get it. yeah, <laughs> like it's a it's another one where it's like there's a good guy and a bad guy. Mm. Relationships don't work like that. 
it's two good guys, two bad guys, or more, like if you're poly, <laughs> right? But like, it's uh, again, a reflection of you, um, you know, like if somebody says, oh, all my exes are crazy, <laughs> that's a red flag. Yeah. Because they're only as crazy as you are. Exactly. If you were with them. <laughs> you know yeah yeah and if you keep attracting crazy then like what's yeah are you what's the common denominator ah okay do you know like and and again like if you're like if Mm. that's what you keep attracting like somebody that's healthy emotionally healthy isn't going to touch you with a barge pole if you're not (laughs) so it's like yeah it's the same thing like we're 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 only we're going to meet people where we can meet ourselves and we're gonna it's just when it comes to codependency and things like this, you know, I think crazy, it sounds like the explosive mm-hmm. relationship, but you know, it's, it can be quietly dysfunctional easily to, to know. Uh, and it's always very easy to be, there's a, like a good guy and a bad guy. And particularly, you know, if there's infidelities or there's um, things like this, that like on a societal level, like, oh, this is, this is bad. This is wrong. Do you know? Um, but it's, it's just not that clean cut. It's like two, re- like a relationship is, is built by the people in it mm-hmm. together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's the, your creation from whatever place you came into that relationship in together and what, where you're like firing off each other and, um, so on and so forth. So again, you know, very long story short, it's all about that relationship. Like the relationship. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I uh, yeah, I follow that a lot. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's hard for some people because I mean, in a sense, when you, when things do get complicated with these societal things, where someone maybe cheats, or it's like, how do you deal with that? I mean, someone cheats, and then should you end the entire relationship of of how many years? And it's like, it's look, there's there really isn't a one size fits all right. answer to this one. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I think that infidelity um, ultimately is often times symptomatic, not the real problem. Okay, yeah. I can see that. Uh, and sometimes it's symptomatic of the problems in the relationship, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's symptomatic of the problems going on inside the person that is unfaithful, often both. Right? Um, I think that most relationship issues can be overcome with good communication. Not all of them are meant to be, (laughs) you know, Mm. like, and I think again, I think when I say overcome within that is like through good communication, sometimes like you reach this healthy point of going, it's actually time for us to part ways, you know, and let each other go. Um, But I think, you know, when there's will to stay together in, in in a partnership, and two people willing to do the work, willing to like go there, dive in on themselves, with each other, with communication, with authenticity, hold space for one another and, and do the deep work. Most, most things are survivable. Most things mm-hmm. are fixable. Um, I think the thing is, is that the most people aren't gonna do that. Right. Do you know, and I think oftentimes even when people stay together after an infidelity. Uh, it's not necessarily because they've gone in and done the work. It's just like, we'll just move forward. We're just gonna let this go and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't nice in, in theory, but particularly when 
that infidelity was probably symptomatic of something else. It just means that now you've got like a whole lot of shit that you already weren't dealing with that led to this happening. And now you've got a whole bunch of other shit that's come up from you from this mm. and now you're not dealing with that too it's gonna it's gonna play out in the relationship somewhere okay. it's gonna play out somewhere along the line somewhere and i think you know i think that even infidelity could often be avoided with good communication in the first place you know and it's like again it's like if you're dealing with somebody that's damaged and not dealing with their own damage and we're all damaged mm -hmm. like we're all we're all wounded in some way or another if you're dealing with a human being <laughs> that's not like conscious and not working consciously and that is manifesting through them cheating, like ultimately they're going to have to do that for themselves and you have to decide whether you're willing to hang around on the if, if but maybe of them doing that work. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything to control, fix or whatever because it's their work. They have to do it. Are you, are you willing to hang around and wait and see if that happens? How long are you willing to do that? Like, are they actually going to do the work? Like, you know, and, and that's where it's like, that's your personal boundary. And I think like it has to be, again, very conscious unless you're just being like, I can do anything <laughs> for you, which probably isn't necessarily the healthiest place to come, mm. come into your relationship from. Um, if it's to do with issues that are in, in the relationship, you know, where there's like a a lack of something in the relationship that's being looked for outwardly or I don't know, whatever else. Um, then yeah, but again, it's gonna take that conscious conscious effort from both mm. parties individually coming together, doing the work together and, and having this, this communication and maybe mediate it, maybe with a coach. Maybe. <laughs> um, or a therapist or another, another professional that, that's gonna be able to help mediate that, that situation. I think, yeah, I think when it comes to it being like through sexual desires, honestly, I think it's rare. I think it's rare that infidelity happens just because like somebody was horny as hell. Because <laughs> I think that like when everything else is in alignment, um, we can recognize that and channel it differently, do you know? Okay. We're not like being being led, led by it as much. Um, I think though that there is something to be said for infidelities coming, particularly in couples that have been together since they were very young. And then mm, I think there's, you know, you you have your early like sexual development. Um, and then I think like there's a lot of exploration in, in your 20s, but kind of quite boundaried exploration. And I think towards the end of your 20s and going into your 30s, your sexuality changes massively um and your comfort in your sexuality changes massively and like what you want like you kind of for a lot of people there's like a broadening of horizons and i'm wanting to explore more and i'm wanting to do different things or try different things to mid-20s and into your 30s often in our society that often lines up with time like the time that people are getting married <laughs> right yeah. um and I think that part, like that, that can be super important. And I think that often, like that, can fuel infidelity. It's like people want to go be exploring more uh, and trying different things, and they might not feel like they have the safety to express that in their relationship. Not just in terms of like sleeping with loads of different people, but just doing different stuff, experimenting, kinks, fetishes, mm. whatever else. Like, um, and I think 
I think sometimes that can feed into that can feed into infidelity and I think again with good communication is it even like non-monogamy is totally doable yeah <laughs> in a committed relationship you know you can have a, a highly committed relationship that's emotionally um what, what you're looking for and the love is there whilst whilst having a, an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship a lot of people uh, no not a lot of people but some people think it's well for them it's not possible they can't they think that if if you're looking for some like sex somewhere else that you know it's it's a part of of the reason is that you're you're not supposed to be with this person mm -hmm. because you can't give if you can't give them a hundred percent then why i think that i think it's true i think i th i think again you know like this is Some people aren't going to want to be in open relationships or poly relationships. Right. And that's fine. That's fine, yeah. You know, that's absolutely fine. They demand more work. They demand a lot more work. I would say I agree with that. A lot more communication, a lot more authenticity, a lot more honesty. You have to be at a serious level of your own personal development journey. And you have to have like a really strong conscious relationship to make it work. Yeah. 99% again <laughs> is a like, very very legit and tested <laughs> statistics that Look I'm coming up. up with here but no like I would say like 90% of open relationships like maybe a bit less maybe a bit more who knows a, a vast number of open relationships fail and don't work yeah not because open relationships are a problem but because the people in there in them aren't prepared for the work that they want monogamy is a safety incubator It's one of the ways that we create this safe space to be unsafe in okay. um, with a cap on mm. our vulnerability. Okay. Right? And it's like, this is like, this is a safety incubator of monogamy and there's a whole load of stuff that I just don't even have to like deal with right. But in, this, in this safe space. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have that safety incubator in your relationship. You know, life doesn't always have to be pushing you to your absolute limits all the time. Not every day growing emotionally <laughs> all the time, you know, and like there's nothing, you know, I, I've been in monogamous relationships and I think probably would prefer. I think that there's also there's also opportunity to have both. <laughs> you don't have to pick one or the other. It's like your relationship can go through ebbs and flows of monogamy and openness. Okay depending on the needs of both of you at different times of your relationship, I think that is something that would give relationships more longevity. Yeah. To be able to have some flexibility in the boundaries of your relationship as you're growing and evolving as people. I like that. And changing as flowing as people. I do think that open relationships are a risk to your relationship, particularly coming out of a monogamous relationship. It's a risk because it takes a lot more work. Yeah. Um, what I will say as just a little nugget in there of, you know, when it comes to open relationships and when it comes to exploring that and the jealousy that arises, you know, um, in open relationships is this jealousy arises when we see like, again, these other connections that our partner's having as reflective on us in some way. Like someone has to be the better, someone has to be the more, someone has to be the like, do you love me more or them more? Or blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you know, are they hot, sexier than me? Or are they da, da, da? Come back into yourself and think a little bit like even about your own connections 
and they can be different without being better or worse or whatever else some some can be deeper emotionally and some can be like still serve us from a different emotional place do you know what I mean it's like I, I like I feel very much again like I was saying earlier about like when you can take people for who they are where they are and connect with them on this level like it opens up like the scope of relationships so much and what you can take from each connection for what it is with who it's with mm -hmm. You know, and it's not about like what you're projecting out and trying to create and trying to cling to. And you're like moving blindly, really just fumbling around with other people. But it's like, wow, I get to have these like beautiful connections with people, whether it's just sexually, whether it's sexually and emotionally to a certain degree, whether it's monogamous or whether it's not, whatever else is ebb and flow that people come into your life for a reason. Do you know? And I think that I think that that has given me this like concept of like each connection stands alone you know what do you mean? like each connection stands on its own so if i'm in an open <laughs> relationship and you're going out and connecting with somebody else it doesn't necessarily change anything that w in our connection still our connection right and yeah. that is something else over there mm -hmm. it only has any relevance to this connection when I start getting jealous or you start getting, do you know what I mean? Right. Or you, you start comparing yourself. Is this person or more attractive yeah, or more yeah. better? Or you can also take it in a, in a positive way where you have your partners going out and having these experiences and growing from these experiences, having something different for right. yourself. So right. now they come back with these new experiences. Yeah. Now you have something to talk about. Now yeah. you, you can, oh, okay, wow. How, how was it? A hundred percent. I think that when you can, you know, when you can recognize that, you know, I have been in situations I've been dating somebody that's dating somebody else and being able to be like, you know, there's something in that relationship for you and there's something in this relationship for you. Right. And that's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to deal with. No. But when everybody's in the know and everybody's honest and everybody's clear, it's also like workable. Right. You know, and it's like, it can be very much like, it doesn't have to be like jealousy it doesn't have to be yeah that. i think if you like someone if you're really into someone you know you have to meet them where they're at maybe they're not ready to commit fully so are you gonna are you gonna have do you want it all or nothing and it doesn't have to be all or nothing i think boundaries are just super important and i think expectations like i think this stuff gets messy particularly when we're looking at dating and not even like within like the confines already of a committed relationship where there is intimacy and love and all the rest of it Like pain happens when there's a lack of clarity. Mm. So it's like if I if 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 I'm dating somebody and I know I'm like in this open situation or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just not really ready right now, and they're like, ah, oh, down down, like there's a crack, like the crack of hope, like I'm leaving the door open, like right now, <laughs> do you know? And it's like if a year down the line I'm still not there, but I'm like, ah, oh, just not ready right now, right. do you know? I'm leaving this little crack for them, and that's not fair on yeah. the other person, you know. I think there has to be like a clarity there has to be like a a lot of like this is where i'm at and this is what i'm down for and this is what i'm not down for and sometimes like also giving just like a space to flow i feel like one of the biggest mistakes that we make equally as like dating for the marriage is like i'm not looking for the marriage do you know like because you just you don't always know what you're looking for right. like yeah, you know you don't, you, know, you don't always know what you're gonna <laughs> find 
I feel like particularly having the experience of dating in London. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what's, uh, what's that? A lot of people mean I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, God. It's just like everybody, like not everybody, obviously some people get into relationships in London. The vast majority <laughs> of people in their 20s in London are like so career driven. And it's like they go into every connection so guarded of like what they don't want what they don't want, what they don't want. And I feel like personally, I always felt super restricted in, in like dating situations in, in London. Like from like the third date, you're already like making it clear like what where this is going and what's happening. And like for me, it was just so like unromantic. Mm. I just found it so unromantic. It's like, oh, right, okay. So we've got an agreement now that we're going to meet up once a week and fuck, like that's okay, cool. Like that's like the extent of dating here. Like what date three, like we're meant to decide this and that's like how it's going until like maybe a couple months in we fall into a relationship and now we're like together. Like that was for me, a lot of like the dating scene in London was that that was like the expectations or the normality or it's like if it's somebody that you meet is in like so Socially, it's like oh you might just hook up when you see each other on a night out and then like if it happens enough times you fall into a relationship I don't know for me personally I found like dating in London obviously that's that wasn't that wasn't I wasn't really in in for it so like I definitely think there can be different connections found and there are conscious people and whatever else and you can make it work like if you know what you want and what you're looking for in in life you can kind of find your way again if you're communicating being clear ask for what you want and you might just get it do you know what i mean like be <laughs> clear be but i found that i feel like either way um this kind of trying to pre-decide and then fit someone into your box mm. is just a nightmare do you know it's just a nightmare and it comes with so many projections either way do you know like i think you know when it's somebody coming in they're like i don't want uh I don't want a commitment and they're super like guarded about this and then they're going to project that onto the situation and try and see you like see you trying to trap them into something mm. even if you're not because they're so like on edge about it and then like the person that's like only dating for marriage is like this is perfect person like I'm just like projecting <laughs> all of this onto it and reading into like over reading into some things and ignoring a whole load of other things to make it work, mm. to make it fit into the marriage box. Do you know what I mean? I think that's super, super, super common. So it's like it, they'll hold on to like the one little nice thing that somebody said to them. Yeah. Like, and oh, like I knew that they really felt something deeper. <laughs> Do you know, like when it's like everything, all the communication, communication is happening between the lines. Right. Not like, you know. And they'll forget all the uh, other things. Yeah. Just, like, it's like just hold on to that one thing. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's a minefield. Dating's like danger, dangerous grounds, dangerous <laughs> stuff. Um, but wow, like what what an amazing opportunity it is, uh, particularly if you're like, you know, if you're in, in this journey of like personal development. Like I said earlier, it's, it's super easy to get to a point of being healthy within yourself in this like fortress of solitude, uh, emotional solitude without the massive monumental trigger of intimate relationships coming in um and and it's okay it's okay to also have like have a time where you decide that that's what you want do you know it's okay like you know to be consciously single and on your own and say right now i'm working through the triggers a little bit too much to be like 
<laughs> reliving them and re-going through it and I'm just going to figure this out and get to know it a little bit on my own first um, but I think there needs to be a point of like reintegration okay we're going back in there <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and when you're moving consciously and when you you know you start to pull like pull apart all of these habits of like projecting and relying and validating and all of these things through your relationships and through other people they really are going to teach you and serve you so much and like I say every connection can be super super beautiful and no matter how much work you do like there's still going to be hard like yeah, you know yeah, it's exactly. still going to be hard I think like again this human experience we're not meant to go in like this personal development isn't about reaching a point where you feel less you're going to feel more you're just going to know what to do with it Okay. You know, it's not like we're not looking to be numb. Right. You know, we're not looking to go into relationships and be like, oh, I'm unfazed, I don't care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, how could, like, can you go in and really feel it? The rawness, the fullness of all of it and not be completely overwhelmed? Sometimes it's going to be. Hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's okay too. Do you know? But like, I think it's just knowing, it's about knowing how to deal with things, knowing how to really live more fully more completely, more honestly. Right, living in abundance and having more because yeah. then you get more out of it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and relationships become deeper. And I think, you know, when, when it comes to, like, boundaries, when it comes to, like I said earlier, you know, ask for what you want. Even in hopeless situations, like in London, I'd see, like, the shit done. Like, ah, I can see the game you're playing. I'm not going to play it with you. This is what I want. You down or not? Okay. Like this is where I like this is what I'm I'm kind of looking for, and it might be like not and I'm not going in with this the marriage whatever but it's like so if I'm dating somebody that's like super I don't want commitment I don't want this da, 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 and I'm like oh that's that's cool with me I'm I'm okay with the not commitment part, what that doesn't mean to me is that you get to disregard me, treat me disrespectfully, like I still want to I still want to be dated right. I still want to be romanced. You know, I mm. want to share a connection with you and some intimacy. I'm okay with it not being monogamous. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it not going anywhere in terms of like a long future. That's those are, uh, are reasonable terms to me. You know, but you still want that. Like, but I still want to share like a level of something with you. Maybe that's overwhelming to you, and you don't, and, and you actually really don't want that that level of emotional intimacy. That's totally fine. Okay. But you're gonna have to find it with somebody else. Ooh. Like that, yeah. Respecting yourself enough to be like, this, yeah. these are, this is what I need. Yeah, and also like, it's not judgment. Mm -hmm. It's like these are my yeah. needs. This is right. what I want from my my romantic connections. And if you're not like able, equipped, willing, if you just don't want to give that to me, it's totally fine. I respect that too. I respect your right to be where you are, who you are, and where you are. I'm not going to take it personally because it's just you're not willing to give what I'm looking for. Um, it's not really about me, it's about where you're at. Mm -hmm. That's okay, and I respect that, because you're allowed to be that. You know, I don't know where that person's coming from emotionally at that early stage. I don't know why it is that they don't want to share that with me. Maybe that's very unsafe to them emotionally, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to respect that. What I could do if I'm not moving consciously and asking for what I want is go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all fine, and try and get what I want through manipulations and quiet, like under the scenes communications that aren't verbal and open. Oh yeah? Yeah. What does that look like? 
So it's like, okay, somebody's like, I don't want a commitment. I don't want this. And I don't want this level of whatever closeness, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh yeah, that's fine. But deep down inside, you're like, I'm going to marry you. (laughs) 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 And now it's like, you know, like, you know, like the typical, like I'm leaving a toothbrush, like sneaking, Ah. like sneaking my way into a relationship. Like I've done that. (laughs) I've done that when I was, when I was in my teenage years, when I was younger, like, you know, somebody who doesn't want a commitment, challenge accepted, (laughs) you know, fall in love with me. But what happens in the end is like, you know, like this person might even fall in love with you too and they might love you, but mm-hmm. they're also in a relationship that they ultimately didn't want. Setting yourself up for somebody that's going to have one foot out the door consistently. True. Um, is, that, is that respecting yourself or are you giving yourself the best opportunity? No, it's not respecting yourself. It's also not respecting the other person. Again, like, can you take yourself for who you are, where you are truthfully and hold space for that and that process for yourself? And then when you do you'll be more capable of doing it for other people. It's like the only reason if I'm like dating somebody and they're like clear off the bat, I don't want a commitment. How is res- how is me going, oh yeah, that's fine, whilst inside going, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna marry me. Yeah. How is that respectful of that person? Like they've told you, they've given you a boundary. They've communicated where they're at, what they're willing to give, and what they want out of a connection with you. Right. So right. to disregard it, and to go into that connection with a different intention than the one that they have for themselves going into it is disrespectful. Yep. Do you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, and, and of course, like, it's not all black and white. There's a whole load of gray area in this life, do you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not always as, sim- as simple as that. Sometimes you go into something and you end up developing feelings and you didn't intend to, and it's whatever else. Things happen, ebb and flow. But ultimately, again, it comes down to that accountability. You're responsible for you, they're responsible for them, and together, you're responsible for the dynamics that you're bringing into your relationship. Mm. Like... (laughs) I think you couldn't have said it any more better. Yeah, very simplified. Like, that could have been the whole podcast. You're responsible for you, (laughs) they are responsible for them, and you together are responsible for the dynamics of your relationship. Like... um, but it's like, you know, so if I get into a situation, I'm seeing someone casually and now it's like, oh, I'm getting, catching feelings for this person. It's time for me to check in again. I know we had boundaries here right. about like where this connection was going. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like I'm starting to develop an emotional attachment here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd maybe quite like to see, you know, if we can open up the boundaries of our relationship, can we start mm-hmm. dating? Can we bring a little bit more romance? Into this? Right. Would you be open to that? Nope. Not open to it. Okay. In that case, it's maybe time for me to say goodbye because I'm risking getting hurt if I stay in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just taking a break or, or just saying, hey, like, you're not ready right now. I'm, I'm at this phase. Options are limitless. Yeah, there's so many ways to... There's uh, so many ways. But, being, yeah. but, like, staying in it yeah and then trying to like cult, like find mm. your way into whatever and it might be that you come with this like check-in and you're like hey like i'm starting to feel something here i wasn't really expecting it wasn't what i was looking for but this is where i'm at i'd like to explore it with you where are you at and they're like me too awesome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what right. i mean yeah but if you're yeah also if you just hold it in and you start trying to weasel your way in or building resentment and saying, oh my God, and, and imagining all these scenarios. And then the other person is not a mind reader. They don't know what you're thinking. I think that's also a big issue. People think that 
because you're thinking something that the other person knows what you're thinking and is on the same page as you. <laughs> and it's not it's that way. It's just not the way that it happens. It's just not the way that it happens. And it is. It's like even when we know each other so well and when like you get to a point where, you know, you're finishing each other's sentences and mm. you have like a real familiarity with one another, I think, as well, when you're deeply connected with somebody uh, in a relationship, you often have an energetic sense of them. You often have a whatever else. We're also battling with like our own projections and our own whatever else. And sometimes it can be difficult to know which one's which. Is this my intuition or is this my insecurity? Is this my energy sensing of this person that I love and I'm deeply connected to? Or is it my projection? Because <laughs> I'm feeling some type of way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like sometimes you you will have intuitions and you will sense your partner's energy and you will be able to move with with that intuition um, in some Chris. ways, it's not better than just real down and out open communication. I love it, I love that. Words. Nice. Yeah. All right, I think we should uh, do the tarot cards. Overall the, reading. Let's Overall get it. energy for this podcast. Oh, you know what would've been cool if you would've picked the card before and then like read it after. afterwards uh. yeah next time i'll have to do that yeah next time <laughs> so how does this work that's some sage some sage just burn it and just like <laughs> cleanse the energy cleanse the energy i bought that here yeah by like a, a woman that makes them mexican lady um she she was a spiritual very powerful spiritual healing person mm. um, so is this like was this like was this upside down or is there a reason or is it upside down or is it a penis or is it ovaries oh. depends who's looking at it to me it's ovaries <laughs> to it's you ovaries. it's a penis, penis. <laughs> <laughs> right I'm scared right. for this uh, let's do it operate do off love no fear See, some people, some people don't like um, other people touching their, oh yeah, you don't their want tarot to cards. It? But I, no, I don't mind, especially yeah. with this this deck. This okay. is a really friendly deck. <laughs> <laughs> Super social, likes likes being likes being touched. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pick one. No, actually, I'll pick one from here. From the middle. Dum dum dum. What we got? Ace of Wands. Ace of Wands. New beginnings, birth, new ideas, creation. I'm starting my business, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to create a badass, kick-ass coaching business. Nice. Yeah. If you want to work with me, then hit right. me up. Hit me up on Instagram is the best way to get at me right now. I'm Cash Whiteley with a K. Um, but I'm also on YouTube. And I do quite a lot of videos about personal development, funnily enough, mm. <laughs> over on YouTube. But I also, yeah, I also talk about spirituality and I also I do like commentary on trending topics and mm. things like that too. Like I think anything that's going on that I feel like we can learn from uh, or need, like can learn from or need to learn in order to deal with as a society or, as, or personally. Um, yeah, so. That's awesome. Go follow me on Daily. Nice. Subscribe to my channel. All right, cool. Well, thanks for being on my podcast. Thanks and for wow. having me. <laughs> <laughs>
I told you I can talk a lot. Yeah, yeah I mean, like it's amazing that all the stuff that you said though, it like it's it's real. And I feel that there's definitely going to be people listening to the podcast. Someone's going to be listening and it's just going to resonate with them so much. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. All That's right. what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I feel like as well, like you know that that is like this thing like I said earlier now it's like it, it would feel super selfish to go through this process and then not kind of like share it because it's been this monumental shift mm -hmm. for me and just completely through and through, do you know, like not like putting on this from the outside. I right. did that. I did that already. <laughs> you know, that was like the first healing phase where I tried to do it outside and bring it in. Um, and I think during that period of my life, like maybe on the outside, I looked like I was doing really well, I was super successful. I remember I used to get messages from people like, wow, Cash, like it's incredible Congrats, seeing like everything yeah. you've done. Blah, 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 blah. I think in a lot of ways I had more like so, like social recognition at that time. But inside I was like miserable, mm. you know, like inside I was, I was suffering so much. It's like now, loads of people think I'm a crazy hippie. Right? <laughs> It's um, crazy how people's <laughs> perception of you, right? It's a lot like, I'm a lot less cool now. <laughs> I appeal to less people, for sure. Like, my social media following has decreased massively. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more niche, <laughs> oh, yeah. certainly. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, like, it's... Uh, I also stay in my own lane a lot more. Like, I'm just kind of... I don't really care, like, I love social media because I think it's, like, a great way to share with people, to connect with people, to meet with people. But on an ego level, I just don't care anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're better with yourself and you realize yeah, it's, like... It's just, it just doesn't, yeah. So, I don't know, but I'm much happier now. Like, it doesn't always look at, like, cool necessarily, do you know what I mean? I don't look like a bodybuilder anymore. <laughs> 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 On the outside, my outside is like, my outside and my outside life is, is probably a little bit more more plain um, than it was back then. I mean, it's it's actually still pretty amazing. Like I'm sitting in Mexico in my beautiful apartment and yeah. to learn like my life's still pretty awesome. But um, the most important thing is that like whether I was in a beautiful apartment in Tulum or like back at my mom's house in the mountains or in anywhere um, like the inside bit is yeah. completely different no matter where you're at if no you're not good with yourself it's like and you're good I mean you're healthy you're you go out and you've been out on had mm -hmm. food and you eat what you want and you know mm -hmm. you're comfortable with your space and where you're at and that's yeah. all that matters yeah, I think I think as well. Like it's uh, it's changed totally. Like who's coming into my space? I think you know people always say that, right? Like your vibe attracts a tribe. Like da 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 da. I think it's never not going to be a shock to people. Like to what extent that happens when you're like actually working like in alignment and in your truth, mm. and how much it's like people are just gonna like fall into your lap that I just feel like so, such deeper connections, do you know, like such a, like you can just be anywhere and kind of fall into like the space of people that are kind of right. on your wave, on your vibe, do you know? And it may sound silly if you're not 
in an alignment with yourself because you're like, no, what, what are you talking about? But when you start mm -hmm. realizing, start becoming in alignment with yourself and people start falling into your, into your space, into your, into your life and you're like, wow, no, it's, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I've, I, I think I struggled so much throughout my life, like this deep feeling of like being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Like no one gets me. <laughs> Do you know, like very much. I'm an Aquarius moon. We can have like a bit of a snowflake, a snowflake complex. I think we're <laughs> unique, different to everyone else. Um, but yeah, like I feel like it kind of like plagued me a little bit, and I was like, I'm never, I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like people got me. How's anyone gonna get me when I'm not showing up? <laughs> True. <laughs> How am I gonna feel seen when I'm not visible? Do you know? Mm. So that's been massive for me as well of like, you know, be going through this journey and, and being able to, it's vulnerable. Do you know, this podcast is vulnerable. Right. You know, there's things people. Expressing you being honest with yourself. Being honest with like who you are, what you've, you know, your life, your story, your own imperfections, your own flaws, your own whatever, opening yourself up to at the end of the day with these things. You know, if I talk about my spirituality, that's super vulnerable to me because it opens me up to criticism of like the most sacred thing to me, right. you know, from somebody that's going to be like, oh, weirdo. Yeah. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? I'm already projecting that onto the audience right now because I go. feel like it's vulnerable, right. you know? Um, but I think when you do, you know, you feel the fear and you do it anyway when you show up courageously. Uh, yeah. It and gives you the opportunity to then connect with the people that are ready to hear like you know that resonate yes. with you that ready to hear what you have to say and um connect with you on like this deeper level and probably feel like they're in alignment with what your your yeah. experiences are with you with what you have to say yeah if you live your life off the fear of what the negative things that people are going to say then you don't also open yourself up to positive so it means you're in servitude to like what you want to avoid you know so it's like if i'm constantly worrying about like oh am i going to be liked or how am i going to be received or whatever else like i'm gonna be all the time trying to second guess what the person that isn't gonna like me is gonna like and trying to like live mm. in servitude to that instead of like living on my own path right i'm not here to be liked. i'm here to be me yourself <laughs> if you like me then awesome if you don't like keep moving you yeah. know i i think it's yeah it's like it's again it's also like if you if you don't it's it's kind of a you problem yeah. What is it? Yeah, if you don't, if someone doesn't like some. What it, what is that saying about themselves, right? Yeah. Like is it maybe they say something they don't like about themselves? Probably. Right. Especially if they see me on social media, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm just a mirror <laughs> <laughs> on social. And again, this is like again the, the line between accountability and like enabling, right? Like that doesn't mean that we don't accept criticism, that we mm -hmm, can't right. be open to blah, 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 whatever else. But like, as a general rule, I do think, yeah, when you show up. Uh, Brene Brown calls it being in the arena. Like, you've got to be in the arena. Oh, you know? like the Roman arena? Yeah. Okay, why is that? Yeah, she's like, let me check my quote, because it's actually, it's awesome. I feel like, she, I feel like I heard it from Brene Brown, but she was quoting someone else. Being in the <laughs> arena, yeah. I can see maybe uh, you are around all these people and... No, it's like, no, as in like, you have to show up like in, in, um... Like when you're showing up authentically and vulnerably in life, like you're in the arena. Right. Like so people are watching. You're the what? Like you're the, you're you're in the battle. Do you know? It's like mm. other people are observers. 
Oh. You know, like you're showing up, you're there, mm-hmm. you're you're tackling life. You're not like you're in. Yeah, you're gonna be in the arena. What does she say? Let me try find it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I guess that the way I see it is, um, you're showing up, and instead of uh, instead of just not tackling your issues and. Yeah. So it's okay. So it is. It is. She takes it from another quote, um, but it's like it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Well, that's super long. But it's like the, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Like, and it's like mm. people that like aren't showing up vulnerably and are practicing a lot of self-judgment are going to judge you, especially when you're showing up vulnerably right. and authentically. They're not in the fucking arena. Spectators. <laughs> spectator sport yeah right like yeah i guess maybe social media is a lot of that when people see you on youtube or instagram it's a spectator sport where you know they it's so easy to just judge and point fingers and say oh look at this person but then how about you try that how about you open yourself up and and see how that feels right to go on stage and be uh, and play a song or be a tell a joke on stage someone can be like oh you suck uh, blah 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 and and you're horrible right you try it And it's also, I think, like, you know, outside of, again, outside of when we get into, like, a social issue when people are being actively, like, harmful, problematic. I'm not talking about people that are showing up on social media being racist or homophobic or whatever else. But outside of that, as a general rule, like, if you don't like my content, why are you you complaining? Like, Mm. go watch something else. Yeah. Do you know how many millions of people there are making content on, like, why, I I don't know, like, it's like, there's loads of YouTube channels that are about gaming, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not into that. Like, I'm not into watching somebody else play a video game. I quite like playing video games, but Mm -hmm. I'm not into watching somebody else do it. Doesn't do it for me. I tell you what you will not catch me doing, though, is being under their comment sections, being like, I don't like this. This isn't (laughs) for me. Stop making these videos. Do you know what I mean? Like, people are so weird. (laughs) <laughs> like weird for that like you're a weirdo I don't know like if you if you're gonna watch something that isn't up your tree and then be annoyed right. that like it's I don't know like you're not into spiritualism you're not into personal development you're not into whatever and you came onto my channel and watched my video and you didn't like it and now like you're mad at me about that right. I don't know it's yeah. like a you problem <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like a you problem until I take it on and make it my own yeah. and like Aside from that, like I said before, it's like very much on social media. Like it, it's it's so much projections. Of course, people can get a sense of you. Um, people can get a sense of you when you're showing off authentically and you're showing up honestly. But really, it's so much more about like what you represent for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also too that when people have this uh, separation, right? You may be driving in a car and someone may. Like you, you may cut them off right in the air. Mm-hmm. They beep the horn and they, f- they curse yeah. at you and put yeah. your middle finger up. But if you were, if there was no car and if it was you, you two walking, you think they would uh, say do, the yeah, do that? No, yeah, yeah, no, because there's a separation. This is social media, like particularly, I think, has detached people from each other's like humanity. Like mm. it's like a game, like you, you know, and like in this era as well of like actual game, like it all feels like it's not real. Yeah. I think it's easy for people to forget that they're talking to a real human being. I used to find it super difficult. I used to find it super difficult when I first started on social media. Like the amount of negativity that would come in and all the rest of it. 
um, was a lot for me to deal with. Obviously, it was like also when I had that narrative inside myself already, it's like, well, you know, I have to deal with it from the outside too. Yeah, so I always that. wonder how how you can do it, especially if you have a lot of followers, if you have a lot mm. of people. I mean, that's a lot of pressure, no? Mm. I mean, maybe, I don't know how it is for you, but. I mean, if ask me this like, Right. A few years ago, and it would have been a very different answer. I used to struggle with it a lot. I found it really overwhelming and very, very difficult. And I was like a total people pleaser, and like I was constantly trying to predict how people could react badly to everything, so that I could like talk mm, to everyone and meet everything. Wow. And da 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 da. And again, this is what like this is why I say it's like you're in servitude to the exact thing that you're trying to avoid. So now it's like I don't care. Like, how do I deal with hate? Like, I don't. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't need to. Like, it's literally like, I don't care. Well, you don't like me? All right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry for you. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, I'm actually showing up for the people that that are going to take something from what I'm doing. Do you know? It's like, again, especially these days. When I started social media, like I wanted the followers, I wanted to do well, I wanted, I was literally trying to find validation out of my work in an era where I could have fucking followers and likes tell me how valuable I am, you know? I'd put up a picture of my body, like my muscular body, and it's like I'm gonna have comments, you know, wow, inspiring, amazing, da 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 da, tens of thousands of likes hundreds of thousands of followers and it's like see (laughs) you know but of course with that when there was criticism Mm. it shook me a lot more but it's like no I don't care you know I don't care like sometimes I have to like I have to pragmatically think about engagement and I have to pragmatically think about my strategy on social media and how my page is performing particularly like reviving my page from it being a fitness page to being a personal development page with a, a big period in the middle where I was inactive, you know, and I have to think a little bit about like where am I at with the algorithm, mm-hmm. where like what's going on as a professional. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Do you know, it's like, I know how to, I know how I could get loads and loads of likes on social media and probably like gain more followers and do all of this, but it, it wouldn't serve m- me at my business now or like be in service of what i'm in service to okay you know like i've been on this journey for a reason and i'm a teacher and i have to pass this message forward like that that's the whole point you know that's what i'm here for that's what i that's what is the message as in like I have like I went through this whole process mm. and I've had to go through like my karmic journey and my fucking whatever and figure it out and come out the other side and so it's like I know the answer now I've got this I'm not saying my way is the only way and mm. my way is going to resonate with everyone that follow me like I'm not like trying to I'm not trying to like build a cult <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> but it's like there's going to be like I tell you like one thing that we fucking aren't as human beings is original do you know, if I felt it, someone else is feeling it. Right. Do you know, and if I've been through it, somebody else is going through it, and it might not look exactly the same in the, again, like the practical sense of like the exact traumatic event, but the way that it's playing out in somebody's life might be similar. And like. Have you gotten a lot of those uh, comments or people on social media, or people reaching out to you, or how do you handle 
a lot of a lot of that because you have a lot of followers. What do you mean in terms of the negativity or in terms of like people? Positive, positive, yeah, positivity. Like I love it. It's yeah. awesome. You know, since even since since I was doing fitness, um, some incredible like cried, can absolutely like awe inspiring exchanges with with people online and and that's why i'm still here right. <laughs> you know that's why i'm still still doing it still online really like if if um uh if if i hadn't been in the place that i was in then i don't think i ever would have made social media and if i didn't have social media now i wouldn't make one i would be like living my little hermit life like recluse like offline um, but because of the way that it all happened, the way, like, you know, the way that it played out, I did make social media and now I have like this, this platform on there. And, um, and even though I'm in this place where I could quite easily live without <laughs> social media, I also, uh, love that connection. Um, and love, love the way, the way that I can touch people's lives and the way that people have touched my lives, yeah. my life. Um, through social media, it, you know, people that I would obviously never have come into contact with otherwise, you yeah. know, and I, and I think when you're a creator and when you have a page and when you're doing, you know, doing what you're doing, of course, like particularly in, in areas areas of work that I've worked in and talking about the things that I talk about, of, of course, I've had conversations with people that have come to me and um, talked about how I've helped them or whatever else or how I've inspired them and all the rest of it and, th and it's be it's obviously it's lovely it's they're beautiful exchanges but I think it's easy for people to not uh maybe realize like how much my like supporters online have been like the pivotal moment of a, a, a day or a moment or whatever like when you're also going through life and being a human and doing whatever and somebody's come to you with the perfect message and the perfect moment just when you needed it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and that's happened to me countless times, you know, and I feel like there's divinity in that as well. You know, mm -hmm. I, sometimes it's like, these are my angels. Like, <laughs> I often call my followers my angels for exactly that reason. It's like there's this divine intervention that comes through my followers so often when I'm in, like, the deep moment of, like, I want to give up, and then somebody out of these thousands of strangers just happens to message me in this one moment with exactly the words that I needed to hear to be reminded of like who I am and what my purpose is. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's... Like, jeez, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it makes you want to show up and it makes you want to be your best and it makes you want to do something that fucking means something. Right. You know, like, yeah. Do you have any big plans to do something that means something? For me, it's, I... I <laughs> again like thro throwing back to my my childhood I remember like when I was in school being asked like people going around the class being asked like what I wanted to do when I grew up and like the whole class like everyone's going around saying like, I want to be astronaut I want to be yeah right footballer da -da -da -da. and I was like I don't know <laughs> like, I don't know like I have to pick one thing <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and I was like, I want to change the world. And everyone was just like quiet. Like, what did she say? <laughs> 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 what? 
weirdo and I got really embarrassed and I felt like super vulnerable. I could feel like, you know, when like your neck gets hot and like everything yeah, yeah, gets yeah. a bit prickly and I was like, oh, why did I say like the truth? Corny. Why did I, it's so corny. Like I want to, <laughs> but that's how I feel. And then I was like, like, I know it sounds silly, like, right. But I don't mean like, I want to do like this big thing. Like, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be a footballer. I don't want to be famous. I don't necessarily want to be remembered or recognized. I'm not looking to save the world. I just think that when you do little good things, it affects other people and then they do good things. And then that affects other people. Mm. And suddenly you have like this ripple, like the butterfly effect or like this ripple out, like a fucking pebble falls into a lake and the ripples get bigger mm. and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you've changed the world. Like I want to be the pebble. And I don't know what that looks like yet. I don't know what I want my job to be. I don't know who I'm going to be when I grow up, but I know I want to be the pebble. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Always been able to fucking gift of the gab since childhood. Um, chatting away, gift of the gab. That's very English. Is that very English? Like, I can, I can talk a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds made up. That story sounds made up. It's so ludicrous because... I've just always been this flair for dramatic, I guess. Uh, but that's what I said. That's what I said at school. And that's it's absolutely 100% true. Um, and I think has been, you know, again, another another sort of core principle of, of any work that I do. I'm just trying to be a pebble, man. Create um, some ripples in the world. Yeah. And I think, I think that for me, personal development, I've done a lot of work in activism as well per, over the last decade been involved in in activism for social justice and uh, and for me personal development ties into that as well you know i think that um you know when when we get to a healthy place in ourselves like we just don't treat other people as badly mm -hmm. you know i think that um i think that if we're all doing this type of work and we're all working ourselves to become self-actualized more well-rounded, more healthy people, and then the more of us do it, like the whole world changes, Damn. you know? And, and it's not overnight, and I'm probably not gonna be alive to see right. a lot of the changes that I would like to see in the world. But like, you, you still have to be in it, you know? You have to be in the arena, and it's like, uh, at the very least, I wanna leave a better world than I found. Even if that's just like, in one small, small little, way Small you know, like I, don't, I don't need to be whatever do you know what I mean I'm not trying to be like don't need to be famous or remembered or mm. be somebody that's recognized in history or whatever else that's like super meaningless to me but just touch touch a life in a positive way yeah yeah and I think you're doing it and you're doing a lot of good work so <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm you. sure you've already created it some ripples yeah I right? feel like I feel like that's what I'm doing I feel like it's what I'll continue to do and I think you know whether it's professionally or personally I hope that that's like you know I'm sure I'm the villain in some someone's story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably more than one someone yeah. um, I'm sure every good person too has been seen as a villain yeah Martin Luther King and, and Gandhi all these people who've done amazing good things they were seen as villains by other people Right. And if you're not yeah. seen as a as a villain, you're not maybe you're not doing what right. you should like, be doing. You know, like for, for sure. And I think, I think even when we are, just like sometimes we just get it wrong. Do you know, sometimes we, 
you know, like uh, sometimes, yeah, whatever. Sometimes okay. we just are the villain <laughs> part of the human experience. Yeah. All right. But yeah. Cool. Awesome. Hopefully, mostly not though. <laughs> <laughs> but also, too. I mean, in a sense, w- when you are a villain, if you eventually turn away from that, yeah, like and you can come away, you learn from it. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. become and help more people with with that knowledge. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for being here and also for thank being you. so vulnerable and sharing your uh, all of it, all everything, of, everything. My whole yeah, life. Your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I think there's maybe like a a year when I was like six that we haven't completely gone into, but <laughs> next time, <laughs> stay tuned. Yeah, thank yeah. and thank you so much for listening. And hopefully, you enjoyed it. You enjoyed the conversation, and you got something out out of it. And yeah, and you were part of this wave, this ripple that, and maybe you can also eventually become a little pebble of yourself and we're creating these these ripple effects. And yes, yeah. please. <laughs> the quantum entanglement thing. Yeah, but I love that. Awesome. All right, and we're out. Bye, bye. Bye, see ya. Thank you. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo.